Welcome to Obsessive Comic Disorder. My name is Gene DeWeber, and my guest today is Ryan Danley. He's a writer for both The Hard Times, for Hard Times for Other People, for comedy that gives people hard times. Mm -hmm. If you're an oppressor, he will take a brick and break it on your uh, mm -hmm. back of your head. Mm -hmm. It's what he does. It's He does it for fun, so watch out. Even if you are like laying on a bed and all the only thing you're oppressing is the bed itself, he will murder you. Mm -hmm. so, it's my job. It's a hard job to do, but someone's got to do it. I'm I'm basically like Buffy the Vampire Slayer with with like no extra skills, except for your Dan Lee the yeah anyone who will do something stupid Slayer exactly. Yeah. That's 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 basically it. Well, I mean, I consider my enemies demons as well. Okay, yeah. yeah. So you know, it makes it easier. Mm -hmm. You know, like once you just like go, oh yeah, these aren't even really. <laughs> <laughs> Demon! <laughs> Get out of this house! But I'm just your mailman. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, a, that's tough for you, bro. <sighs> you know, you you shouldn't have worn that high of shorts. That's an oppression against humanity, really. Yeah, what, what is up with the mailman shorts? Mail person shorts? All my letter carriers all have really short shorts. It's like, I'm a firm believer in uh, nobody wants to see your knees, you know? Mm. But I also dress like I'm 16, so. That's fair. Mm -hmm. I think it's what they're doing is they're giving Taylor Swift a reason to wear t-shirts and hang out in the bleachers. Fact. Yeah. Because, you know, they wear short shorts, she wears t-shirts. You know, and I mean, like... Our sneakers, yeah. That, that lines just still kills. You know what I mean? Taylor yeah. wrote that like a million years ago. She just yeah. walked away from that. She was it like, was, this, is, this is it. That's she, the shit. She, it was 150 million BC mm -hmm. when she wrote it. <laughs> really was. It was so long ago. None of us were alive. Mm -hmm. She is she's an ancient god of wrath. I actually thought she was a Q. Oh, like from Star Trek? Yeah. Mm. That makes sense, actually. Yeah. I like that theory. It's a it's a good theory. Mm -hmm. yeah. She's kind of like everywhere and always, which kind of makes her good and bad. You know what I mean? Like there's just like yeah. sort of like, you know, but I like that she's an ancient god of wrath. Actually, you know what? I think I'm going to go with yours. I think, yeah. you, I think you won that just because like she's like her nuanced wrath on her exes. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's such a beautiful torture. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, it's like, yeah. it's like the water torture of, uh, you know, and I want to point out that I didn't say Chinese water torture because mm. I'm woke. Woke. You know what I mean? Because yeah. no, I'm not yeah. really woke. But um, I don't know. Your eyes are a little droopy right now. Mm -hmm. You seem a little bit tired. <laughs> I'm as woke as a colicky baby. <laughs> You know, if nothing else proves that Taylor Swift is a god of wrath, it's the fact that she has a song called Shake It Out, mm -hmm. which to me sounds like an evil ruler who is wanting the money out of your pockets. You know, I, and I agree because I, I actually would spend money on that song. You know what? Like Taylor Swift, like solidly isn't in my musical wheelhouse, but. Damn, that's a banger. Shake it out. You know what it, I mean? Like, it's kind of like, you know, usually like pop songs too, like have a really short shelf life. But I don't know. Like, I think if Shake It Out came on, I'd be like, fuck yeah, take my money. She's good. She's good. You know, I agree. It is a banger. The entire time I want to bang my head against the wall so I don't remember <laughs> it. I have a, like an odd love affair with like pop music 
because I kind of consider that like like if you can be like a successful pop music person like you know like like I listen to like you know like hardcore and all this stuff and there's like a lot of variance in the edge like you know you can kind of like this cannot be good or that cannot be good but to like make like proper pop hits you got to be on the on some next level shit you know what I mean like I mean I think Jimmy Eat World's uh, The Middle is like a perfect pop song. Mm. I believe the next little shit is MDMA. Yes, I, I, I probably... It was, I've been sober for a long time. I, mean, I think we just used to call it X. It's the same thing as MDMA. I think it's just like a version of ecstasy, right? I believe so. It's like a more concentrated version. Mm. I haven't done it. I like to joke about drugs, but like I really haven't done that many crazy like mm-hmm. weed. You know, just that one summer in uh, Malibu where I just did a bunch of cocaine. Right. You know, I mean, but who hasn't had that one summer in Malibu? Well, I mean, when somebody tells you they've been sober for a long time, so it means there's a whole adventure that led up to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's true. You know, so, um, yeah. So one summer, endless summer, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, um, it's so always summer somewhere i don't know yeah. is, that, is that a thing you know fair and as long as those people that i locked in that basement never get out we're fine so it's, it's 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 a fact it's a thing mm-hmm. like the those people uh someone should probably rescue them honestly <laughs> they're if they're still alive first of all i was 93 i was only four years old and i was on a cocaine bender mm-hmm. but <laughs> damn it if i didn't babies day out those motherfuckers <laughs> You know, I think if I was locked in a basement someplace, I think I'd be happy to be missing this past, like, seven years. You know what I mean? Like, I think, like, I think, like, just, like, I'd be bummed that I was down there, but, like, I wouldn't know what I was missing. You know what I mean? Like, it'd be like, I'd be like, you know, I should just be happy that I, you know, <laughs> I don't have to, like, make choices in the, the Trump into the pandemic. You know what I mean? Like, you don't know how, how good it is. The grass is always greener. The, the, the basement is always greener. Mm-hmm. Especially if there's mold. Right. And yeah. like, like some moss, too. I think if I was trapped in the basement, I'd probably clean it. You know what I mean? I think I'd get to a point where I was like, you know, I'm going to make this basement like a home. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like if I was, um, what's up with those dudes who like trap people in basements and like, it's just a weird thing. You know what I mean? Like it's a, like, it just seems like a lot of work, you know? Like it's like, like I don't know. Like, it, like I don't need any extra responsibility. Yeah. It, you know what I mean? Like beyond like the cruelty and everything of it, I just don't think I want the extra responsibility. You know what I mean? Of like <laughs> taking care of something else and like everything being like, like r- responsible for me. I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, it's just like these, these people, <laughs> like it, it's like they go through so much work to just be terrible. Terrible. You know what I mean? It's just like, like that guy in Ohio had like those like four women and like everyone's like having children and stuff like that. It's like, dude, don't, don't you just want to like come home some nights and like sit on your couch and just not be crazy? You know what I mean? Like, I think we all kind of feel like, like, I don't know. It's just, it's just a lot of work to be really terrible. And I just think it's, you know, um, it's really unfortunate. So. I mean, I just want to know if they're on psychedelics. Cause like, I don't mind a little bit crazy when I get home. Well, I mean, there's a crazy and there's like people. I mean, like, like I'm kind of crazy, mm-hmm. you know, and I spent like a lot of my youth thinking I was maybe locked in a room and like imagining the world. Mm. Um, it's called like soplicism or something like that. Like, um, it's like a real, like, like an honest ailment. And um, there are books that are kind of about it. Like, uh, like there's a book called I Am the Cheese, um, <laughs> which is literally, it's like a teen book and it's mm. about like a, like a, like a mental patient, like imagining this life and, uh, you know, like other like Twilight Zone episodes and shit like that. And, um, you know, so like, this is like a, like an idea that was put in my head and I had trouble like getting it out of it. And I really like actually like thank the incels for uh, bringing me out of it uh, completely because like once they came out, I was like, I don't think I could think of something this stupid on my own. You know, like, (laughs) 
Like, I just don't think that, like, even in my, like, darkest corners of my brain could be, like, I'm, like, it's just so, like, involuntarily celibate. Like, it's just so fucking stupid that it's, yeah. like... So thank you, Incels, for um, mm. saving me from uh, my neurosis. Thank I think you. the thing is they think they're involuntarily, but they're voluntarily making decisions that make them celibate. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, if you really want to get on this path, like, I mean, like, like, like to, to, to be, to be, uh, um, to be, you know, like, celibacy, like... <laughs> Um, you know, to have like sex with somebody re- requires two people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, like, you would need to then to say like I'm involuntarily celibate is like kind of the idea would be like then I'm deserved of sex. Um, you know, which would mean somebody wouldn't have a you know a power over their being. You yeah. know what I mean? So, um, in the, and I think like any time we uh, we suggest that we're probably we're probably on the bad path. So what I'm hearing is that we need to get a GoFundMe called Sex Dolls for Celibates. I, I want to go fund me. That's um, well. That would be fine because we could get them all in one area, and um, and then I feel like we could solve that problem pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know what I mean. Like I, I think that's an opportunity. Yeah, you know, we just have to do like a buddy Teddy Ruxpin thing. We can mm-hmm. just like have we we get some people together. We can like have something like we'll get some girls you know who are consenting and be like, yes, I care about you. Mm-hmm. Your halitosis isn't that disgusting, mm-hmm. Ronnie. You know things like mm-hmm. that. Those frosted tips look great those frosted tips look great you know what's great about your music is how much it hates women (laughs) the 19 hours a day you play call of duty does like is totally fine with me it really it gets those juices going Mm -hmm. there's just nothing like a guy who can really master a first person shooter Mm, i'm wet for men who live in their mom's basement You know, you know, like mom's basement gets a bad rap. I would never live in my mom's basement, but like if somebody wants to live in their mom's basement, you know what I mean? Like some days I'm like, fuck, man. Like mm. if I had like that in my life, I would be like, <laughs> I don't know. What, what about grandma's basement? Do you think that's more sad or like that's still pretty cool if you do it the right way? Yeah, I, you know, I think that's a case by case basis. Mm. I mean, like, um, I feel like grandmothers are sort of like taken advantage of in general. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we all love grandma's cooking, but like the problem with like the reason your grandmother is a good cook is because like that's all that they could do in their yeah. life. And that's like all they were judged on. And like, you know, like if you weren't able to cook a pie, like you were like a fucking trash grandma, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so like, like I kind of feel like there's this idea of grandmas and most of our idea of grandmas are based on like the harsh oppression of women for, for yeah. all these years. And so I don't know like how I feel like I think like I would want to live in grandma's basement and like train her in jujitsu or something. Like yeah. That. You know what I mean? And like kind of like find empowerment ways. And I'll, I'll be honest, though, two things from that. I'm pretty sure there are a lot of ancels that think that they know karate from their grandma's basement. Mm-hmm. So you might sure. want to you might want to reconsider that. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Now I'm an insult. <laughs> <laughs> That's a slippery slope. <laughs> the, the road to recovery is self-awareness, right? <laughs> it really is. Um, <laughs> and the other thing is, yeah, like I will say the most more people that I can assume that live in the grandma's basement are the people who are constantly yelling at their grandma about their cooking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I think that if my grandma tried to make a pie, it like just like slap it out of her hand you know what i mean i'd be like we're done we're done with the pies grandma like we're we're, we don't need this anymore and that's why ryan's grandma killed herself (laughs) damn (laughs) um (laughs) love you love you you, grandmas wherever you are um (laughs) 
I'm grandparentless at this point. Um, but um, yeah, but it's a. Uh, but no, I'd be like, no, we're done with the pies. You know what? We're done with the pies. We're done with the with the glass of Werther's candy. I mean, does anybody want a Werther's? Yeah. Is there any time in your life you're like, you know what? I need a Werther's. I think they exist solely just to like help oppress grandmas everywhere. You know what I mean? Just yeah. so like you know because the status quo normal. <laughs> it's just like the keystone of oppression, you know? Yeah, I and mean? yeah. so like grandmas are buying butterscotch caramel. I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? And putting them on their things. And it's just all like, it's all like window dressing for how we've treated women. Yeah. There is one caveat I would say. First of all, does your grandma love cooking because it's her favorite expression? Well, I mean, like, I think I'm not saying like people shouldn't cook. I'm yeah. just saying there might be some Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. You know what I mean? Fair. Like, I, 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 I mean, like, I think we have to give the grandma the option to not cook. Yes. You know what I mean? And just say, hey, like, listen, is this really what you want to do? Or maybe like we should cook for you. Like, I can make a pie. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, can, I can do it. You know, maybe I, we just flip the roles around. And like, what do you want to do with your life, Grandma? You know what I mean? If this is what you want, because this is what you know, hey, that's fine. I mean, what do I know? I'm just some dude. But at the end of the day, like, I need to give Grandma the option. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, do you want to do this for the rest of your life? Is this what you want to be known as? Yeah. You know what I mean? Or do you want to, like... You know, if I would say, like, as someone who likes to learn things, and if it is something she has a passion about, because I think even in, with an oppression, you can find passions and, like, the way to make the best out of something right so i would also be interested like what if if this is something you really enjoy doing could we do it together mm -hmm. could could i cook for you one night and will you cook for me the other night we could like make this something we bond over right i also think we could just like burn down the house and start to smash the state you know what i mean yeah you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? yeah like we can get grandma on that like i mean a grandma maybe not be able to chuck a maltov cocktail far mm -hmm. But you know what I mean? But that's like prejudgment on my part. That's like the negativity of patriarchy, like creeping into my mind. That like, who knows? Like maybe a grandma can start maybe the best dumpster fire. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I like this. Yeah. Uh, I like the idea of a grandma shucking a Molotov cocktail. Yeah. Like that and she's got like the classic uh what is that kind of hat like the beret or something like mm -hmm. that you know she sure. got the beret and the sunglasses and like the almost like ironic military style you know mm -hmm. outfit and she's got a like a bazooka or something sure. i like that you still use the term bazooka i feel like it's like a lost term mm -hmm. like i feel like when i was a kid like everything was a bazooka like mm -hmm. the stick is a bazooka this like baguette is a bazooka <laughs> this like anything that you could like grab was like a bazooka um but like the word bazooka like when we first heard it we were all like oh my god that's amazing now mm -hmm. nobody says it everybody says you know rpg you know mm -hmm. and um i think we lost a little something when we went through you know what i mean there's like, yeah. like a little of our innocence of uh, killing machines was lost um, when we switched to the more proper name you know yeah you know when you said that when this baguette is a bazooka now i just want to use that as a compliment mm -hmm. like this spaghetti is bazooka <laughs> yes yeah, i like it i yeah. like it a lot like this i have never had a better gin and tonic this gin and tonic it's bazooka <laughs> it's a bazooka it's a bazooka did you know in france when you go to a chinese restaurant the chopsticks are called baguettes R do you eat them well baguette means stick Oh, really? Did not know that. Yep. It just means stick. So you can go get a... See, now we're learning. Stick we're learning. bread. <laughs> this, is a, this is a learning show. <laughs> this is a educational edutainment. Mm -hmm. So kids, you better fucking listen. This is some like... There's like <laughs> David Attenborough and then us. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, we are a regular... Uh, What's the guy who did Cosmos? Not Neil deGrasse Tyson, but the guy before him. Uh, Sagan. Carl Sagan. Yeah. 
Right. We're like a regular Carl Sagan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I like that. I like that. Yeah. I like that. We're out here uh, saving the world. Yeah. One podcast listener at a time. And we're going to write a spiritual successor to contact. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Um, or like our own Philistine prophecy. That book really, that really, I don't Did you ever read that book? Actually, I'm not familiar with that mm. one. It was like a 90s, like, new agey, kind of like um, white liberal attempt at, like, a world understanding. It was sort of like a modern day, sort of Ram Dass, uh, the prophet, sort of like in that category. Um, mm. I really think it led to a lot of the problems we have now. So, Well, that's fun. Yeah, it is fun. Yeah, that that's is fun. It's, it's always interesting because that is a thing, I feel like, where you can see sort of where the corruption is starting or where, like, the... God damn it. <laughs> like the nexus. Yeah. Ground yeah, zero. Yeah. You can, exactly. Where you can see the ground zero mm-hmm. of the corruption, which brings us to the book that mm-hmm. we're talking about today, uh, The Song of Solomon. <laughs> yep, it was The Song of Solomon. <laughs> the Song of Solomon. Oh, wait. I thought we were doing uh, Iliad. Oh. <laughs> we are actually doing a Glee-style combo of the two. <laughs> okay. That's, that's yeah. great. Do you not remember when uh, Odysseus's neck was the length was like a a fawn, mm-hmm. and it's his breasts were like a tower. Yeah, like a tower of Babel. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I it's my first erection. That was so <laughs> like that's what you call your erection, the Tower of Babel. Yeah, and uh, we all know that Solomon was known as the Cyclops <laughs> for his giant dick. <laughs> for his giant dick. <laughs> I used I used the uh, I used the Tower of Babel in a bit last night. Boy, did that draw a uh, a blank stare uh, from the crowd. Like, um, by the way, so for any stand ups listening, uh, Tower of Babel not a good punchline. Um, mm. The art history majors nowhere to be found. So. <laughs> I I would think there's enough people in Portland though that were raised Christian and now just hate their parents mm-hmm. that they would understand that reference. Well, I mean, I think they like the the whole Mesopotamia like gardens of Babylon sort of thing. Like, I mean, it's just like really the greatest rivalry story like ever told. Like, you know, you have like the Yankees and the Red Sox, you know, mm-hmm. like the the Cowboys and the Giants, and then you have you know like Christians versus. Babylon, which was, like, just a town. Yeah. And they just didn't like them. And they just thought they were all, like, evil and stuff there. It's really, like, a weird story. Yeah. Well, like, it's, not, it's, not, it's pre-Christian, though. It's, it's uh, well, right. like Judaism. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's Old Testament shit. Yeah. You know what if I mean? You, yeah. you tell Judaism that they're Christian, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right, you're they're right, Christian right. they will be very upset with you. You're, you're, you're right. Um, will, and I totally um, support that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, I, I, but, you know, but, like, it is. It's just, like, an old-school, Old Testament rivalry. They're, like, bad. Babylon sucks. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we're going to write the book that says who sucks and who doesn't. Yeah. And, you know, hey, Babylon, you're free to write your own damn Bible mm-hmm. or New Old Testament or, uh, you know, Torah or whatever. Um, <laughs> you're, you're picking this out of. Um, you know, but we're just going to roll with um, we're just going to roll with saying that you suck and everybody over there is greedy and yeah. jerks and stuff like that. And it would be like, you know, like, it would be like if Boston like wrote about the Yankees and it was like the only <laughs> thing we had to judge from from history on them. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so. I think there's if there's a modern day uh, Babylon, it's New Jersey. Mm-hmm, probably. Yeah, New Jersey. <laughs> I. It's funny because uh, the book of Revelations, because I, I was a very hardcore Christian until like three years ago. Interesting. Good, yeah. yeah. And then I was slowly a less Christian, and then eventually I became an agnostic, and now I'm an atheist. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, tomorrow I'm just going to be a, a killer clown from outer space. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just trying on new things. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I think um, so. This is an interesting point. Did you really believe in that stuff, or did you like believing in it? Because I feel like a lot of people like like we all put on like a costume in our lives, you know. And I kind of feel like a lot of Christians are um, at this point really just like they're more into the idea of being Christians than they are into like the Christianity. Does that make sense? I get what you're saying, and I do think there's a lot of people like that. I was a legitimate like I would constantly talk to God. Mm-hmm. I would be, I would go to church and I grew up Pentecostal. So I would have like this like religious experience that was very, very similar, honestly, to like shrooms, mm-hmm. like where you just have this like overwhelming sense of completion and like understanding. The thing was though, is that brainwash kind of works that way sometimes, mm-hmm. sure. you know? And I just realized that that was more uh, like a release of the brain and just how things work. A lot of it for the longest time was just, I would always say things were always working out for me. But really, if I thought about it, it was that I was surviving situations like losing jobs and then being able to find another job. It's like, guess what? I was in my 20s. People give people in their 20s a few more like Mm -hmm. breaks. Once sure. you get in your 30s, you're like, oh, get some driving Uber now because I don't want to work for anyone. <laughs> right, no. no yeah. Sure. <laughs> I, um, I feel like I like I used to, like, um, be, like, actively. Like, so I've never – I went to, like, church uh, periodically as a kid. I grew up Episcopalian, which is, like – it's, like, Protestant Catholicism, but it's, like, Catholic light, you know? It's um, really pretty easygoing, like a, a minister or – whatever priest priest um, at our church was uh i mean he was like not like out gay but he was gay and it was like just what it was and um you know and this was like in rural colorado you know um but i never like never really believed i enjoyed like the atmosphere a little bit going to church and then we became a punk rocker and i just like you know i couldn't stand any of that stuff and i spent a lot of years like actively hating religion i have um you know since getting sober and stuff like that and like finding like um like a non-superstitious like spiritual path in my life and trying to like get myself right-sized and um and finding those things it's important i have i have lessened my hatred on religion in fact i'm to the point now where i think like the abuse of religious practices to uh, you know because religion gets just like used as a weapon you know what i mean like it's like oh if you well if you i mean it's been used to argue for slavery it's been argued you know i mean like religion should never be like a tool of oppression you know what i mean like religion should be to like save people um and i think that religion gets the blame for that but really what needs to be blamed is people yeah. You know, and I just think that, like, we have shitty people who will use uh, religion and money, all sorts of things. I mean, we all believe shit that it's, like, personal to us. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, there's, we all know people who, like, probably believe in, like, shadow governments and, like, all sorts of shit that has, like, no <laughs> actual, like, proof. You know what I mean? Like, personally, I think the government is just, um, is, is, is too inferior to really have, like, anything. Like, that, yeah. that's, our problem is that the government doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. Less that they're, they're so, like, evil, corrupt. I think so. it's and so, like, I'm sh- no, I just I want to answer really quickly. Is sh- shadow governments are when people like Joe Biden do shadow puppets on the on the wall? Yeah, right? that's it. That's it. That's, yeah, 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 that's what I thought. Yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> I think I think when you believe, I think I think the belief the belief in shadow governments and things like that gets into this like sketchy like on a Venn diagram of like Nazi shit and stuff like that. You have to be careful of like anti-Semitism and things like that, kind of like bleeding into that idea of like. Mm-hmm one group of people is trying to run the world and um, I think I think um, even if that's true we're probably not going to crack it and we have enough problems dealing with here on the level on the, on the ground level mm-hmm. rather than worrying about those um, those sorts of things but um, um, but 
so people believe in all sorts of things and we have a, um, you know, and so what it is, is I don't care what you do. You know, like people are like, well, well you hate Christians. Well, why don't you hate <laughs> Buddhists the same way? I don't know. Like no Buddhist has ever like forced me to like wanted to force me to meditate at school. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's, there's just like, it's just not a member of oppression and people have used Christianity as an oppression. And rather than blaming the tool, I'm going to blame the wielder. I'm going to disagree with the Buddhist thing because I think that every single librarian is an oppressive Buddhist. Mm-hmm. Sure. You start to talk and like, shh, no, meditate on that book. They're like, you're going to turn the page slowly. slowly. Imagine yourself turning a page. Yes. Imagine the words yes. going into your eyes. Now, your mantra is, I'm a real piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Libraries are not a right. Mm-hmm. They're a reason for me to hate you. Mm-hmm. They, are, they are the communist bookstore. <laughs> they are the communist bookstore. I mean, truth be told, libraries are a form of socialism. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, they're just like the fire department. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly, not ambulances. Ambulances are no. private companies, which is interesting. Well, yeah, uh, I have been taken an ambulance and then seen the bill and be like, God fucking mother, mm-hmm. goddamn fucking damn it, what the goddamn fuck? Why don't Why don't they just take this out of my taxes? Yeah, yeah, that's what I think. It's like, why don't they take this out of my taxes? Why, honestly, why don't they just mug me mm-hmm. on a day that I'm doing well and I have money and then be like, this this right here, this is going to be for the next time you're in an ambulance. In right. fact, the next time you're in an ambulance is going to be right now because we just stabbed you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you're going to be happy with it because you're going to be like, on a day that I can do it. You know yeah, I mean? this that's works. Right. This works. And you know what? I've always wanted to meet a ninja, so. I, I, or an international assassin. I hate to tell you this. Hmm. I am a ninja and mm. international assassin. Mm. This is just between you and me, right? That it makes sense. Yeah, it really does, doesn't you it? Know, I, I was like, what does Ryan remind me of? A ninja and an international assassin and a sous chef for some reason. Mm-hmm. Like that's you know, which all kind of go together, really. I've been a sous chef. You have. Mm-hmm. You know, the, nobody can see this, but Ryan right now ha, is wearing, like, a muscle shirt where, like, the sleeveless, mm-hmm. you know, and he definitely looks like a sous chef. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I went to culinary school and worked uh, worked in restaurants all from when I was a teenager, all through high school, all through up until I was in my 20s, and then I got tired of, you know, just, like, that world. You know, there's, a, there's ways to, like, make an honest living doing that job, but uh, working in fine dining restaurants is um, is, a, is the labor of love that you either love or you don't. And um, I stopped doing that, and... Um, sort of selling produce for uh, retail grocery stores, and I did that for a million years too. So you know, your anti-authoritism is starting to make way more sense now. Mm-hmm. I've, as someone who's worked in a lot of retail shops, <laughs> <laughs> call centers, like if you work in like a customer service of any form and don't want to be like Viva la Revolution, mm-hmm. you are a fascist. That's just yeah. You gotta really believe in like. And I, like, there's a lot of talk about Karens and like it's kind of like funny or whatever but like when you work in a grocery store like those people uh, Karens or Kens are like terrorists mm. and like I'm actually like not being like hyperbolic with that like, hyper- hyperbolic hyperbole hyperbole Hi- hyperbolic hyperbolic Hyper- hyperbole is 
a form of hyperbolism. You're right. I'm you would. Th- I'm a writer, so you would think that I would uh, know this word. But because yeah. um, what they do is that they will come and like threaten your livelihood mm-hmm. over perceived slights. Yeah, they will be like, I'm going to tell you, like, you know, and like I was even like a manager of the department, but they're like, I'll go to the store manager because uh, the grapes were priced wrong or something like that. <laughs> and like you're like, you're like I'm sorry, this has inconvenienced you, but like now you're like threatening like how I feed my children mm-hmm. because of like like is like like in the in the wide scheme of life and injuries to you, mm-hmm. why are we? threatening my living situation. I think I know why. They watched the Disney movie Alice in Wonderland and like the Queen of Hearts. That's my bitch. Yep. Right there. That's yep. who I want to be. That's that right there. That's my boo. Yep. That's that right there is I want to grow up and I want to become them. That's right. These what was it? Flowers are not red. Mm-hmm. And I need them to be red. These grapes, they don't have the shine that I want. Mm-hmm. You know? Because when I think of this little grape, this little grape, I'm going to let it shine. Right. Let it shine. Let it shine. <laughs> let it shine. Beautiful. Yeah. Don't turn it into wine. Oh, no. I'm going to let this shine. Mm-hmm. Let it shine on, shine on me? Is that shine, sh- <laughs> shine. No, no. It was, yeah. Back to Christianity. You know? to Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> That's, if, if there's, like, any, any Christian song that is, like, complete... Uh, brainwashing of children mm-hmm. it's that one you know like mm-hmm. this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine let it shine let it shine it's like don't put it under a bushel no I'm gonna let it shine and then it's like and then the thing is though is it's like everything else you know it's hypocrisy because in the background you actually just there's like a if you play it backwards it's like hell Satan hell Satan hell Satan I, I am convinced that the the Christian right is actually a satanic cabal. Yeah, masked masked mm. as a uh, masked as the good guys. But like, yeah. if you really like were to like step back and take like the tenets of what they support, mm-hmm. like and not like the cool Satanism. Like, no, it's no, like no. cool Satan. There's like Church of Satan Satanism, which is just like like kind of like leftist politics Satanism. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's it's basically it's a it's a form of nihilism, right? Mixed with yeah, with yeah. essentially it's it's anti religion in general. Right, but then there's like like devil worshippers like and and um, Anton, I like to call him Ant. Ant Ant Levey, like he's like he's like from Jersey. Um, mm-hmm. Ant Levey, um, Alistair Crowley, yeah, Alistair, you know all those guys who are like into like kind of like really fucked up shit, and, like, mm-hmm. white supremacy, and like dabbled in a lot of. I don't know if Crowley was into that, but uh, definitely like Levey led into mm-hmm. like a lot of like um, kind of like really uh, shitty um, belief structures. I um, wonder if because. Uh, Marilyn Manson was a good friend of LeVay. I'm curious if he has any of that shit. Yeah, Marilyn Manson. Anyways. Um, <laughs> I just, like, like I've never, like, been a fan of Marilyn Manson. And, yeah. like, no offense to Marilyn Manson fans, but, like, I feel it's, like, weird when you're, like, 35 and into Marilyn Manson. Like, yeah. Marilyn Manson's, like, really good if you're, like... 14 and it's like like my first bad group yeah you know what i mean my first like and like you like listen to it you're like oh yeah this is so like evil and dark and then then you then you like need to move on you know what i mean then you're like you're like oh well maybe i'll listen to like slayer now and then i'll listen to like you know and then you end up at like emperor wolves in the throne room or you know i I will say though his cover of your own personal jesus by depeche mode is actually pretty decent you, you know he he um 
uh, knocks the park out of some uh, some covers. In fact, yeah. you know what I mean. Um, but if your best song is a cover song, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. You know, it's like Joe Cocker. Yeah, Joe Cocker will never have the love because really he just knocked out cover tunes and like in Joe Cocker <laughs> way, um, which I just don't even know if that, like like that was good. Yeah, but um, I feel like um, yeah, like Manson really made a career off of it. like I mean his first big hit was. Uh, you know, uh, what's that song? Uh, Sweet Dreams or whatever. And uh, Oh, yeah. yeah and, that's um, another... Yeah, and that's... Uh, you know, he's, he's So he's really good at that. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, I don't know. It's just like... It's just like... To me, it's just like... It's like a hot topic if it was a band. Yeah. You know? I'll be completely honest. I do not know a single Marilyn Manson song that's actually by Marilyn Manson. Um, that Beautiful People song. I mean, like, Beautiful People, the Beautiful People. Beautiful People. That's that's um, that's Marilyn Manson. I'd have to listen to it. Yeah, you know, you know. I might yeah, exactly. Just I don't have to. You know, I mean, I've heard it. Um, uh, if you if you want like good like uh, anti-authoritarian music, or even if you want like dark evil music, there's mm. there's a lot of better options. I I, I could suggest fifty. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would listen to on the way to like Marilyn Manson. Like, yeah, um, I'd start with like listening to like. Um, Ministry, ministry. Okay. Just listen to ministry. Ministry has, um, from top to bottom, ministry has been just a way better band than Marilyn Manson could have ever hoped to be. Mm-hmm. And um, don't get the uh, don't get the love that they deserve. In fact, um, another artist I don't like, which is Rob Zombie. Um, he, um, <laughs> if you listen to my horror podcast, we have entire episodes how I just dog on Rob Zombie. I don't think he's. Ever, I just don't think he's ever done anything good in his life That's ever. That's Music fair. or movies or anything. Um, and his entire style is ripped off from Al Jurgis from ministry um <laughs> so like like go look at al jurgison and he was doing that shit like 10 years before um, yeah so yeah and kid rock too i hate him um i mean that's for good reasons though yeah i just had to put that in there though yeah. just so people know where yeah, i stand on yeah, kid rock yeah. you know you know that's fair mm-hmm. that's fair that's like the i'm gluten-free of music but, mm-hmm. you know <laughs> just, just it's like, it's like why like okay cool right. <laughs> <laughs> so scarlet scarlet yes yes um we it's funny we've been talking like 40 minutes and we haven't even started <laughs> <laughs> so scarlet, scarlet we are talking about a comic book series written by brian michael bendis mm-hmm. and drawn by uh, what is it? It's Maleev? It's Maleev. I think... Um, um, Alex Maleev. Alex Maleev. And uh, I think on the first two books, it was drawn by Alex Maleev in the Jinx World. Um, it's not like a reboot, but like the, the furthering of it. The Jinx mm-hmm. World volume, which is a offshoot of DC. Um, it's drawn by... Oh, God, what's his name? Uh, like one of the, like, the most famous... Um, I thought it was actually Maleev as well. Because it says so. In yeah, I thought it was... Uh, no, it's Alex Maleev. Okay. Yeah, it's Alex Maleev. Uh, it is. Yeah, I thought I thought um, McMack was involved in it too, but anyway, but they might be. They might have a different project together. Actually, maybe I think yeah. they did. But um, well, there's definitely a progression from how his art goes throughout. Though mm-hmm. you can, you can. He he had a very like Photoshop look in the verse volume, mm-hmm. and it gets a little bit more. There's a more uniqueness, and it's not just 100 percent trying to copy realism. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's like he discovered new filters, basically. It's no, it's true. Yeah. I think in the, the first the first book, I like it because it makes it has a gritty. You know, I think that they really get forth the grittiness mm-hmm. of you know. So 
I mean, well, should we just discuss the uh, the, the book itself? Is uh, um, it takes place in Portland, mm-hmm. but a more realistic Portland than Portland is often described. Um, you know, I, I moved to Portland in the mid '90s, mm-hmm. and you know, Portland was a different sort of town. I mean, it was kind of like it was a kind of grimy, and yeah. it was like a little bit darker. It's like you know, it's like a West Coast heroin town. You yeah, know what I mean, and. Um, and so there was like you know still underneath like all the IPA broken bottles and <laughs> uh, condos and everything. I think that darkness still exists in this town, yes. and um, and I think Scarlet does a good job of like kind of grasping that. Um, well, definitely something talking about the darkness uh, since the pandemic. I mean, just the how many homeless people have been out and stuck outside mm-hmm. and all of the camps and everything else like that. And well, first of all, the camps, and then how. It seems like a lot of people are just kind of like disappearing. There's like a mysterious, mm-hmm. like what's happening to them. Yeah, it's um, yeah, we can we can do a whole episode on how. It, <laughs> um, this is a, <laughs> um, <laughs> this is actually an introduction to a bunch of different spinoffs <laughs> of obsessive comic disorder. First one is uh, don't make your grandma cook. That's the first one. Uh, the second one is homeless people. Are they bad? No. No. What should we do about them? I don't know. Arm them. Arm them. Um. But not with guns, just other arms. No guns. Guns. Okay. Guns. I'm gonna hand out a gun to okay. every uh, to every homeless person just to see how the right wing really feels about. That's a good the, idea. Their, their Second Amendment. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, okay. Like an M16, maybe. I mean, we could just. I, I don't know. I think even like handguns. Like handguns. I think, like you know, like just like a good handgun. You know what I mean? Like something like hideable. You know so, what I mean? So like a 22 or maybe like a 45. You know, I think for for ease sake, I would go nine millimeter just because nine like millimeter. that's a good idea. Yeah. Because like everybody has nine millimeter, you know, and so like it, like it would just like it would just make sense and like like the. I think we should give every single homeless person a tuxedo and a Walter P ninety seven. Yeah, I agree. And I agree. then we can have. Uh, just a bunch of James Bonds, and maybe they'll get laid. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's what maybe you know. That's you know. Um, they do have to speak in. Uh, okay, they don't have to, but they're encouraged to speak in a British accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um, yeah. I would. I would. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 like I, like I didn't even have like a come like a retort to that. <laughs> just like the thought of it in my mind, like. Like the, the like the, the mental narration in my brain was like oh wow um, <laughs> that is a world um, so so Scarlet so Scarlet and her boyfriend are just some folks mm-hmm. um, you know a little bit on the rougher side but not like not bad people no and her uh, her boyfriend gets murdered by um, spoiler alert but gets murdered by corrupt cops mm-hmm. I'm of the belief that there is. They are all corrupt. But, yeah. Um, um, that the whole idea of policing is uh, corrupt. Um, yeah. Well, this this definitely, even though there, <laughs> there's it's it's a little early on. You can tell because there's the concept where they say like good cops and bad cops, but they they also go with the idea of if there's even one or one bad cop, you're being complacent and being a part of mm-hmm. or complicit within mm-hmm. a corrupt system because. Right. You're allowing the corruption to occur. Well, yeah. In my opinion, is the the cops are just the armed enforcement of the status quo. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if you believe the status quo is fair and lacks oppression or lacks things like that, then you would be a supporter of cops. But if you believe that this were systemically unfair mm-hmm. of, a, of a society, which I think um, 
is pretty easy to prove. Um, then you have to look at the people who enforce those rules as, um, you know, I mean, I think there's going to be, of course, variations in behaviors mm-hmm. between individual police officers. But at the end of the day, like, if you are a Nazi guard. Yeah. And I hate, like, throwing around the term Nazi because it gets used all the time. But, like, but like it's the best comparative thing. If you're, like, somebody who works and you're like, no, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm just doing my job. And you're like, well, that's, like, but you're still, like, like the job is bad. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, the, 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 the idea is bad. And, uh, and I am a personal fan of... Uh, Removing police from all but very extreme yeah. situations. Um, so I would, I would almost look at like a, a very similar, and this might be controversial, but the Templar uh, is back in. Mm-hmm. They weren't first of all. They weren't the church, which was interesting. They were mercenaries hired by the church to do the church's dirty business. Mm-hmm. Now, sure, was there possibly a Templar that was like did good things with that? Maybe, right? But. They're within a system that's literally to persecute people who don't believe the same thing as. So it's a very similar system. Yeah, and I mean, and then of course the church uh, betrayed them. Yes, and had them all killed. But um, that's a, so to keep them. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Well, that's just how I make friends. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um. I, I, my, my, I think the the thing I'm trying to do with this podcast is just show people how horrible I am as a human being. <laughs> It's a good. It's like people are like, "Oh my God, Gene, what is the matter with you?" And you're like, "I gave you every opportunity to know that there's." It's yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. This, this, One day they're just. I'm just gonna be like, "You shouldn't have been surprised." Right? Like, this, this is on you. <laughs> All the signs were there. Do your research. Um, Listen to my podcast. Seriously. <laughs> I'm advertising my podcast within my podcast. Listen to it. Listen Just to keep it. on. You see this thing that's happening right now? Continue to listen to it. Right. That's all I'm asking. Yeah. So, um, so you know, so I think this book, um, one of my favorite things is it kind of does really like look at that. And it kind of like, I find it kind of like a cathartic look. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Brian Michael Bendis, for anybody who doesn't know, is a kind of a big deal. Um, he created uh, Miles Morales, mm-hmm. Spider-Man. He created um, Jessica Jones. Yeah. Um, he basically ran Marvel for a long time. Um, a lot of comic book nerds, um, a word that's overused, um, hmm. maybe now, but like a lot of comic book culture people um, didn't like him because he did have a lot of superheroes sitting at tables discussing yeah. world problems um we can do a whole other episode you can have me by <laughs> on the toxic nature of uh comic book culture i love comic books and there's so much great things in there but as with any fandom um things get weird really quick mm-hmm. anything with a predominantly like white male fan base is has has a as a it, like will always be towing the edge of uh you know and uh, if anybody is curious about that look up uh comics gate and uh mm-hmm. and the treatment of women and this and that um well and, and look up the reactions to things like Kamala Khan when she yeah. first came out. Yep. Um, the reaction to uh, when Miss Marvel became Captain Marvel and they decided to desexualize her, mm-hmm. things like that. There was there was definitely within the right people a lot of support, but there was definitely people like, you know, like a, a Muslim superhero. Ooh, and it's like yeah. no. Why? Yeah, and it's like, and it's just so exhausting at this point. And uh, you know, and Brian Michael Bendis has a big hand in that, and uh, and he has, is a white guy, but he does, you know, he has uh, children of different. And he's, yeah, um, he's he, two little uh, kind of a cool story. Actually, I have a friend whose girlfriend was 
his nanny for a while. Mm. So I actually met his, like, I had an awkward situation, or awkward uh, interaction with his daughter, because uh, she, so he has two, two or three, uh, like, adopted black daughters, mm-hmm. and she was showing me her phone, and I just, I was, like, 25 years old, don't know how to interact with kids very well at the time, <laughs> and she's like, look at this, and I'm like, yep, that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> awesome but I, I got to actually hang out with him in his basement which was really cool mm-hmm. and he gave me a bunch of books um i have a picture of it still so I'm, it's like an awkward picture because like i i try i like put my arm around him or whatever in the picture and i just like i'm like holding this like stack of books in one and it's just like it's the kind of picture it's like yeah this is an exciting thing to happen but i never really want to show it <laughs> i just don't want you people to see it yeah. <laughs> um i've uh, i've uh, encountered uh brian a lot um just uh, going to comic cons and things like that he is friends with my friend david walker who um who's also a great um comic writer incredibly uh, kind person uh, um walker or bendis bendis yeah bendis is an incredibly honestly david walker Brian Michael Bendis and Greg Rucka mm-hmm. are three of the nicest human beings I've ever met. Yeah. And why I say kind though, because there's a, there's sort of a, I don't like the word nice anymore because yeah, nice. Gotta, it's like a salad. Yeah, exactly. Well, ni- not just that, but like nice almost has this connotation of there's something behind it that isn't mm-hmm. sincere. Whereas like legitimately he, when I was down there and I was being a nerd, I, he did say a kind of gooberish thing and he's like, He's like, hello, nerds, or whatever, which is really <laughs> funny. But, yeah, he was just, like, he, he was just very kind, very patient mm-hmm. with, like, having, like, like, it was, like, no big deal. There was a fan mm-hmm. of his down there. He signed a couple editions of books I had. Like, I, had a, I think, I don't know if I still have it. I had a copy of Powers mm-hmm. of the first volume, and he signed that and stuff like that. Um, yeah, he was just, he was, he was just so incredibly, he was, he was, an, he was a joy to talk to. Mm-hmm. And he, would, he wasn't one of those people who's, like, <sighs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've been at a Comic Con where he just set up a free table, like him and uh, McMack set up a table and signed comic books. And I don't know how many Comic Cons you've been to, but to talk to celebrities costs money. Mm -hmm. He will sit, like, so if you go through, like, a line at Comic Con, um, like, they used to just take selfies with you. Nowadays, they will charge you, like, six bucks to take Mm -hmm. a selfie with them. Like, whatever. There's generally the people that I, I go in line with, um, or like Buffy off characters and yeah. stuff like that. You know what I mean? So like, I'm fine giving them like, you know, like 40 bucks to meet him or whatever. That's how mm-hmm. they're making a living doing that. I don't really have any problem with it. I mean, um, they brought me a lot. Of, they, they will bring me more joy than I will ever financially give them ever. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, um, so I, I'm good with that. But, um, but that's kind of the game, the Comic-Con game. But like you go see um, Bendis sit down at a table and I watch the guy walk up to him with like 60 comic books mm. and he just smiled and he just signed each one talked to the guy while he did it talked to david mack while i was doing it you know what i mean just like yeah. and just signed like 60 books and like didn't bat an eye not not like hey i need you uh, i got like a two book minimum or anything like yeah. that he was just more than happy to like give service uh come out take pictures with my kids um he's uh he, makes you feel like you know him. Yeah. Like, yeah, I've seen you somewhere. I've seen you guys here before, right? You know, and David Walker's the same way. I've had him on uh, two of my podcasts. I do nice. a, I do a political podcast and uh and he's an activist, and he's also been on my horror podcast. And he um um also like a really guy and Greg Rucka, um, you know, who has written so many things. He writes a book I really like called Lazarus. Um I I, I really yeah. enjoy his his uh series Gotham Central was really good. Yeah. 
really good because that actually deals with a lot of police corruption and stuff sure. like that too. It's, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. They, they're, um, you know, and so all three of those guys are so nice. You know who else is actually really nice that just popped in my head? This also like a Portland guy. Matt Fraction. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a, I want to tell you actually a really funny story about him. So I was at Comic-Con. It was uh, 2019. I hadn't been to anything like that in a long time. I hadn't really run into anyone I that was like a celebrity that I didn't know. So I walk up to him. There's It was like kind of towards the end of the day. There wasn't a lot of people around. His wife actually, Mary Sue McCormick, actually had more people in her life. He was, so he's there. And I go up to him and I was like, Yeah, I really like your stuff. I really enjoy it. And then I was like, I really like, and I blanked. And then I told him that I liked East to West, which is a book by Jonathan Hickman. Mm-hmm, I know it. And it's a great book. Sure. But it's not by him. <laughs> if I would have thought about it, I would have told him what my favorite book by him is, which is Casanova. Mm-hmm. It's a great spy science fiction. Mm-hmm. Very, it's like it's 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 like everything from like James Bond to I don't know. It's just, it's, it's hard to explain. It's, it's a, a lot book. of fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have said that to him, but it was so funny. He just looks at me like, "Are you serious?" Like he's, he, just, he 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 wasn't even mean about it. He just looks at me like, "Does this guy actually know who I am?" And so he's like, he's like, he he, he blinks for a second. He 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 doesn't do it very long. He doesn't do it like for whatever. He's like, "Hey, do you want a Jimmy Olsen comic?" And so he, yeah, I was like, sure. He signs the Jimmy Olsen comic. And the funniest thing about this, I, I lost the Jimmy Olsen comic, which makes me sad. But the funniest thing about it was he had, it was a it was a variant art cover where it showed Jimmy Olsen running away from like this slime monster. Mm-hmm. And uh, something, not if, if you've ever gotten something signed by Fraction, you'll know he likes to put like word bubbles mm-hmm. or like weird stuff. He put... <laughs> He asked me what my name is, and uh, he gave Jimmy Olsen a word bubble that said Gene as he's looking back at the monster running away. <laughs> kind awesome. of insinuating that I'm the monster. <laughs> That's amazing. It was, I wish I still had that. It was so incredibly funny, and I was like, but he was like such a sweet guy. Mm-hmm. I was like, I I feel bad because like I kind of want to like, once Comic-Cons and all that stuff come back, I kind of want to go back to him and like, try to t- run into him again and talk to him about the story and be like, yeah, sorry, whatever. This is really funny. You right. know, just really nervous. That would be really me. awesome. That would be really yeah. awesome. Uh, Cause uh, I'm sure they get that kind of shit a lot, but uh, yeah. You know, I mean, they meet like 5,000 people those weeks and you know what I mean? And like, yeah. Um, and, and as, as a writer and comic strip creator, Jonathan Hickman is not the worst guy to be uh, confused by for. Sure, exactly. Like, he's a exactly. great, he's a great writer. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we've always had a good time. Um, my my kids really like Brian. Um, Brian's uh, first book uh, is a Taki. It's a book that he wrote with one of his daughters. Um, it's actually what got my daughter. My daughter's a huge comic book mm. fan too, and uh, it's actually what got her into it. So, nice. Yeah, but, he did two volumes of yeah, it, I believe. Yeah. And, it's with his his collaborator that's with Powers and a bunch of other stuff, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Avenoming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I read the first volume. It was it wasn't quite my thing, sure. but I could appreciate what it was. You know, I think the cool thing about like Bendis is how he's on the the forefront of of stuff. Because um, like you know, like Scarlet, we're talking about, which takes place in Portland, and so mm-hmm. and, and and as the story progresses, it turns into like a movement against the police. Yeah, we should we should go back to talking about yeah. that. <laughs> right, but I might be cutting things around a little bit and reorganizing um, shit. I'm 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 super ADD. I'm a I'm a uh, I'm a big fan of uh, of uh, 
the sort of like our Scott, my Scott podcast, you can cut all this out. My Scott podcast is like a whole lot of us just like talking about like yeah. life and then touching on the. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I, lo- I love nonlinear conversation. Yeah, I think it's I think it's. A, yeah, which is why I say I make all these jokes about editing, but I normally only edit if something's really right. off. Just, you know, I just sometimes think like natural conversation is like and particularly between comics because we all have like lots of shit going on in our heads. Yeah. Um, if you <laughs> if you listen to most comedians and really pay attention to their stuff we might if you if you've been doing it a long time you might be able to find ways to um blend in jokes together but sometimes all the best way to do is just do a non sequitur right exactly like you could be like you could literally have just told the joke about how you are a huge fan of flossing for some reason Mm -hmm. and then you're all like so i was in the car the other day (laughs) right i mean that's just how how the brain works (laughs) yeah um all right we'll go back to scarlet um yeah. So, I mean, like, I really like Bendis because I feel like he was, like, ahead of his time. Like, I mean, the Scarlet Book um, starts as a as a corrupt murder, um, not against um, people. And, like, that, the whole, like, people of color um, um, is out of it. But that's, you know, that's a different story. But um, it starts off as a corrupt murder. And then, you know, and then Scarlet becomes basically, like, an anti-hero. And it becomes, like, a movement about... Um, anti-policing and um and it takes place in portland and uh which has been you know as we all know a cornerstone of the anti-policing uh, deal and he did that yeah. lo- long before um you know he has this finger on that pulse and the taki comic books um you know kids on bikes yeah cruising around you know um solving problems you know which led into you know i mean things like stranger things and um I think everybody you know everything everybody likes the kids on bike sort of situation you know like uh Sorry, I'm just looking up when Scarlet came out because uh, I thought it was 2010, but that's just uh, it might be a comic. It it might have very well been. Um, okay, you're right. 2010. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So yeah, it definitely have its time. So yeah. ta- so you were talking about Taki though. Um, well, Taki came out before, like you know, we saw Stranger Things, and then even like other comic books like uh, Plutona, which is a really great uh, book. If anybody has a chance to pick up, it's a really cool book um, about a group of kids. Um, mm-hmm. um, and then also Paper Girls, which is uh, something I strongly suggest. Um, that is a really good one. Yeah, it's a really good book. And um, I, I love uh, Brian K. Vaughn. He's yeah. one of my favorite writers. Yeah, me too. Um, and so like you know, but he just has that finger on the pulse of like what's good and what's cool and what's you know, and we see uh, we see his fingerprints on a lot of different things you know like um i think like the jessica jones character um mm-hmm. it's a really fascinating character they made a very real human into a superhero you know that's actually out of all the netflix adaptations of marvel stuff that was honestly i think the best one yeah i think it goes jessica jones i really like the first season of luke cage because i think it was uh it, it was very like honestly like black community stuff and i think that's like not a side it was, that- it was, it was very good i i do say it it did go down a little quality with Marsala Ali's character when he passed, when he dies, like, mm-hmm. uh, there's definitely a little bit of sure. lesser quality, sure. but it's still really good. Yeah. I think the overall essence of those shows though, like those, particularly those two, and I actually like the Punisher too. I mean, Daredevil, like I like just because it's, I feel like it's just like a martial arts movie, but I don't think yeah. it touched into like anything deeper, um, as much as like, you know, like Punisher addresses PTSD and, mm-hmm. and corruption and, you know, like, and I mean, Daredevil does, does deal with the fact that he's an orphan mm-hmm, sure. and they also deal with what, what I really actually appreciated was they dealt with the storyline where he finds out his mom's a nun 
<laughs> which is um, there's there's a lot there's that show was I think it was underrated. I think that a lot of people lost some interest with the Electra storyline because they did a I felt like they did a little disservice to that character. Sure. But overall, the worst part of Daredevil is honestly that Defenders crossover uh, series, which yeah. is very Daredevil centric and a little bit of. Um, Andy Ran, what's his name? Uh, Iron Fist, which yeah. was another just poor choice. <laughs> yeah, Iron Fist was like how everybody expected the comic book series to be. I'm still of the I'm still of the persuasion yeah. because maybe because I'm older mm-hmm. and like and like I grew up with like none of these things getting any like real <laughs> service that I can still like. It's like everybody complains about like The Walking Dead, and I'm like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was talking to a special effects makeup guy on a podcast the other day, and we're all like. What? Like we have like weekly zombies, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, do you, do you know what I would have given for like a a weekly zombie movie? Yeah. Uh, when I was when I was like fourteen, I probably my life would have probably turned out better. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you know, like a Comic Con. Like, you know, I mean, all these things we we can easily take it for granted and start picking these things apart without like being like. And and I agree. Like, I don't I don't think I don't think Iron Fist stands up at all mm-hmm. to the other ones. And there's there's some problematic parts of the whole Iron Fist story in general. Yeah, but I think just like if you were just to take it and like watch it as a comic book fan, you could be like, okay, this is just like, I mean, you know, like I grew up with like the Superman movies being good, mm-hmm. like the first Batman me- movie being good, you know, until they redid them, um, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, like, yeah. and I think like I get that the bar has been raised, but we can also like still go, okay, you know what? I mean, I think the Iron Fist is any bit as good as like ninety percent of the X Men movies. Yeah, I think it's better than Smallville. Oh, I definitely think it's better than Smallville. Too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and like you know, so we right, we're taking a lot of this, you know, like, and I get it, like. Jessica Jones was like some heavy shit. I mean, they the, touched that the f- first season. Yeah, is damn near perfect television. I mean, Kilgrave is like just such an amazing uh, character to introduce to that situation. Like, just like this amazingly powerful woman, still like unable to like, you know, like he's like he has like the definition of patriarchy, and like mm-hmm. it's like it's it was just beautiful. It was just like one of those things where you're like, wow, they're really they're really writing the shit. Yeah, and, like who's ever writing is like. Like they they're they're carrying a dagger, you know. It, it was to the point where like they struggled with the second and even third season to recover from having such a solid start. Yeah, I mean, I haven't finished season three. I've heard it, it does get better in season yeah, three. It's okay, you know. Yeah. What I mean, um, I like that they after Luke Cage got canceled, they brought him back for that at yeah, least, which is yeah, cool. Yeah, so. which is cool because. Uh, um, that actor, what's his name? Kinda, um, I know who you're talking about. Um, kinda, I follow him on other things. Anyways, he's, 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 he's on that show Evil, which yeah. is actually really good. Yep, it is good. And uh, he's rad. He's great. And he did mm-hmm. a great job as Luke Cage. I also like that Method Man is in Luke Cage, and it's like one of my favorite yeah, parts. Yeah, that is a great like, They really run into Luke Cage. They run into Method Man at the <laughs> bodega, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is, this is great. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, but that's... Uh, what else do we want to talk about with Scarlet? Like, it's, uh, yeah, so we keep on... And this is the problem I think I have with a lot of these episodes, but I, I love having these conversations for this. But we keep on kind of starting to get on the topic, but not really getting <laughs> to it very much. So, um, yeah, so I'll kind of initiate some more of it. Yeah, so the storyline, uh, as you were talking about earlier, to kind of preface a little bit to give a concise, is Scarlet is a kind of regular Portlander, honestly. Mm-hmm. She's 
she has a boyfriend uh she's got two really good friends there with her and what happens is is that she's hanging out at like pioneer square mm-hmm. and her boyfriend is getting harassed by this cop and he punches the cop actually and runs away and the cop kills him and like grazes her with a shot. She gets away. I think didn't her uh, one of her friends, other friends die too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, another yep. friend dies, and she gets away. And then they release it on the news and make it sound like her boyfriend was a drug dealer mm-hmm. and all these other things. And even if he was, like that's still not yeah, that's you know. And so what she decides to do is she finds that cop and tortures him like like interrogates him and she essentially discovers this level of corruption in, within the police system that's been going on for a long time right. realizes well like the guy who killed her boyfriend is like the nephew of the police commissioner and even like the mayor's corrupt and the first volume is it feels like a lot of world building mm-hmm. and a lot of preparing for something bigger because sure. it, it happens for she releases the information about the cops that she killed and it starts a movement at Pioneer Square. And this was back in 2010. So, yeah, you were saying it's, it was ahead of its mm-hmm. time. Because, like, this is five years before the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. which is also about police corruption yeah. and everything else like that. So, it's, it's, it's actually, yeah, she, she starts this movement. I think Volume 2 actually came out, like, was it 2015, 2017? But it was, like, right around the time where that. So, it was almost, it was more timely when the mm-hmm. second volume came out, basically. I'm trying to think of one. I, I bought them at Comic-Cons uh, yeah. from him. So, I'm trying to remember. Anyways, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but regardless, yeah, so in the second volume, she's now a public figure within protesters, people know who she is, she, like, the last, the first volume literally ends with her hiding at one of the protesters' house, basically, like, there's an FBI agent that's investigating, there's a, there's a cop that got into the police uh, force, because she wanted to do the right thing, or like what she thought was the right thing, who puts in the middle of it because she realizes that she's just, that this isn't right. There's like an interesting FBI agent character in there. Um, yeah, and volume two was essentially her, yeah, everything's kind of going more pandemonium. She literally instigates a protest at the waterfront, which turns into a big, even bigger than she was expecting it. It gets in this whole situation where she holds up the mayor Mm-hmm. essentially tries to force him to tries to get him to do the right thing which turns into a whole bigger thing because like the cop that was working ends up killing him doesn't mm-hmm. she? yeah and uh it goes in this whole thing and it becomes so much bigger like there's a whole storyline that the reason why she even kills the mayor is because the that cop when she was a cop Essentially, was she a DA at the end, or what was she? She was like a lawyer. Or yeah, DA? she was. Like, she was. Yeah, some sort of court counsel. Yeah, yeah she yeah. was something like that because she started as a cop. Yeah, and there's a really powerful scene where she ends up. It's a flashback where she's a rookie and she's talking to this police officer and he sexually assaults her. Mm-hmm. And when she goes to talk to her superiors, uh, try to, they, <laughs> they try to reverse Catholic church her basically <laughs> by saying like, we'll give you anything you want. Right. Um, essentially what they do, try to do the like Catholic church victims, this guy, he's still going to get in trouble or something like that. I, they don't really say how, what happens with that, but it's, it's, it's very much the classic why the me too movement exists. Right. Basically. Because things just get moved around and nobody ever will get be like really punished because nobody ever wants to accept the reality of it. And, this and the book addresses that like head on. Yeah. This also might be pre me too movement when that oh, came yeah. out too. Yeah. So like, yeah, he's very, he's very aware 
Yeah. Th this is one of the things I love about artists in general is that we care about shit before everyone else does. Right. <laughs> like, well, I mean, like, I don't think any of these things have been, like, secrets. I no. mean, like, people's, like, issues with police corruption go back forever. I mean, mm -hmm. we're now just seeing it, like, on the front page of the news every day um, for a number of reasons. I think, yeah. um, A, there's that, but, like, also, like, with social media giving multiple people voices mm -hmm. um, with, uh, you know, when people talk about, like, cancel culture, really what they're talking about is, like, I get to say, you know, everybody, you know, what's good and what's bad. I mean, everybody yeah. growing up, like, I mean, we only had the only media that we got, the only, like, large voices was, you know, things that sold ad space to yeah. suburban white people. And now, with social media, like, everybody's got this, like, bigger, broader voice. I mean, yeah. social media has its bad places, but it also um, has really brought the light to people who were previously disenfranchised. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, and so, like, cancel culture is more like just, it's actually literally just people saying, you know what, like, like maybe we're tired of, of being treated this way. People yeah. Are like, people are like, why are people so sensitive now? Like, I think that the only thing, personally, as a, as a human, as just a human being, uh, for cancel culture, there's two sides of it. I agree the holding accountable. The thing that does bother me, and I think it's literally just because we're in the early bits mm -hmm. of like accountability, is the idea of if someone did something in the past that was wrong, and I'm not talking about rape, Mm -hmm. But like, say they had a situation like they, because <laughs> I think there's a history of men sexually harassing women without knowing that they were sexually harassing women because it was literally the culture at the time. Mm -hmm. It was wrong. I think, I think that we have to, I think that we can all kind of feel that way. And like culturally, like we'll know that, but the reality mm -hmm. is that, um, you know, um, people have been hurt yes. and, and, and those scars live in society and that there are going to be situations where even if somebody didn't know better or things like that, yeah. um, that um, they, you know what I mean? I think that that's, um, I think, I think what we, what cancel culture should be attached to is essentially atonement culture. Does that make any sense what I mean by that? I, like, I think so. I mean, I think we want to give people, you know what I mean? And I think that there's a lot of people who have walked out of tough situations with the right attitude. Yes. I think people who have tried to fight it and people who have given, like, bullshit apologies yeah. and things like that. Like, I mean, like, you look at, like, Louis C.K., who, mm -hmm. I mean... I'm going to say there's some, sure, there's some variance in that, but I'm going to say, like, 99% of people knew what the fuck they were doing was wrong. Yeah. I mean, like, Louis C.K., you know, had a fucking, you know, like, was represented by, like, the most powerful comedy yeah. firm in it. And everybody, even, like, even at the small level of open mic comedy that, that we all dwell in, mm -hmm. like, we know how it is if you piss off people in your scene or, like, yes. you know what I mean? Like, you don't get booked and you don't get, you know what I mean? So people who had come to that level, like, they don't want to, like, and they're not going to get representation if they go against yeah. the, like this, uh, you know, the advertisement the, or this agency firm's number one client of Louis C.K. And like, you know, I mean, and it's so we just end up in the situation. So I'm going to say that like, like 99% of people really don't knew what the fuck they were doing was wrong yeah. and just took advantage of situations. And, and I, I also think that people are fair. I yeah. don't think it's as as like I think a lot of people will look at situations and be like, okay, well, this person was f fucked up, and if they are living an atonement lifestyle and like really like living mm -hmm. that, and also you know what, like if the worst thing that happens to you is like like you can't do stand up comedy, <laughs> like after yeah. you've like maybe like scarred somebody for their entire life, yeah, there's a reality that like you know like maybe that's a small price to pay, you know what I mean? Yeah. In, 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 I in a world, saying. yeah, and so uh, to me to me like being heavy-handed yeah might be the best way 
I mean, I'm a heavy-handed guy. Yeah, I mean, I was just gonna oh, get, yeah, 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 yeah. That's like that's kind I, of my deal, and like I kind of feel like because I do think a lot of people know when they're like you know like I mean like I grew up in rural Colorado, yeah, and all those people knew they were being pieces of shit when they said racist stuff. All those people it's, knew, you know. What it's I mean? true. It's it sucks because and this this is I I can. It's going to be the most pretentious thing I could ever say. I consider myself a study of human character. Mm-hmm. And because I've, for a long time, whether it be in homeschool or something, I was always kind of a wallflower mm-hmm. a lot of times. I would get along with people, but I was always kind of the quiet one. So I observe people. And the problem is, the reason why I can see why I would like people to at least get, and I don't mean like give a chance after they've been pointed out to. And if someone did point it out to them, if they someone like did like three, four times and they still kept on doing it, no, that person needs right. to go away. But like some, unfortunately, some people literally have to be told no. Yeah. Someone literally, literally, someone has to have a slip on the wrist. Someone has to be reprimanded or something like that. Whether it's like a small, like losing a job or something else like that, it does get to a point where like people need to learn, and sometimes it has to be something big, something has to be small. So I can understand like. Someone like say someone worked at I don't know something. Here's an example: someone worked as a lawyer and they were like not great to women or something like mm-hmm. that, and then they lost their job as a lawyer. And literally the rest, like later on, they decided they became they decided to, to actually help out women and do it in a way that was like actually honest. Mm-hmm. And that person became a comedian, but someone behind it, I don't. That's what I, I guess. That's what I'm. I saying. mean, I think I think there's ways to deal with all those things. And like mm-hmm. I said, I do actually believe that people are kind. And like I and and, and actually like you know, I mean, like you look at Scarlet, and Scarlet's mm-hmm. an extreme example. Absolutely. Um, you know, like I work with a lot of leftist groups. My mm-hmm. my podcast, we interview Black Panthers and Brown Berets, and we look, you know, we look with a lot of like very serious people who are very into defending their communities. And, um And to think the level of violence that has been put on people, if the response back is negative tweets and not yeah. being able to book shows, I think we're all right. Yeah. You know and, what I mean? And, and and let's, I think, be, let's be honest. Louis C.K., um, What's what's another one? Uh, even freaking T.J. Miller. Mm-hmm. They're not canceled as comedians. They're mm-hmm. canceled from being able to do movies, right. having bigger projects. Their fans are still going to follow them. Right. If someone really wants... They're not... Their careers aren't over. Right. They're just... They don't have the same platform they once did. Well... I mean, the thing is, is that, like, there's really, like, no, there's really, like, nothing, there's no such thing as canceling. No. What it is, you soiled your brand with something unpopular. Exactly. You know what I mean? So, if you soil your brand with something unpopular, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you're in the business of, like, people liking you. Yes. Like, that's that's what this job is. This isn't, like, yes, you can say, oh, well, I'm going to do my art, and oh, I shouldn't be affected by this and stuff like that. But, like, like Louis C.K. is, I was talking to Brian Bixby last night. I mean, he referred to being a comedian as like a sole proprietorship. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're like, because I also do comedy writing, which is a, like a you know a different thing. And mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, I sell it to people, and then they can alter it and things like that. But like yeah. with with comedy, you are your own entity. Yes. You are not a, you know what I mean? And acting's like that too. And like most art, you're like, okay, I'm the artist and this is what I produce. And so you are a brand in and of yourself. If you burn the 
that brand, mm-hmm. nobody's going to buy you. I mean, that's yeah. like, you know, for as much people, who, for all the right people who hate cancel culture, really, it's just free speech and capitalism. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like where yeah. it's like, where it's like people are like, you know what, Paula Dean, you know, she admitted to saying the N word mm-hmm. and you know what, like. I don't want people to walk into my JC Penney's and yeah. or my my department store, my Macy's, uh, and see Paula Dean cookware and yeah. think the N word. You know what I mean? I, yeah, just, I just don't. I you know I what I mean? That. I just don't yeah. want to. Like that's that's just how it is. And yes, maybe we're judging, but like, but these things really hurt people. Oh, absolutely. We live in a society of people like really hurt people who live in fear. Women who live in fear of leaving their houses. You know, uh, uh, hell, black people can't even sit on their couch yeah. and eat ice cream without being like shot and then yeah, having exactly. and having it turn into like, well, did they do anything? Like, I mean, like we can't even like like Brianna Taylor was asleep in her bed and they yeah. didn't even charge those people and so like we we have to get to a point where it's like you know where these things and these oppressions and particularly as white guys mm-hmm. i mean because like we for so long left it up to them to defend themselves from a problem that we're creating you know what i mean and we have to and we have to we have to be able to 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 say like we're we're done with this yeah in our in our world and things like that and yes there are scenarios and and we can think of like oh if this person did this and stuff like that but i think like you know like like if louis ck had like come out rather Mm -hmm. than just giving like a one like a two paragraph apology but he came out and he was like you know what what i did was like really fucked up and i am now going to spend my time and my millions of dollars that I've made out of comedy Mm -hmm. to promote women's causes, to do things, to try to right my wrongs, to try to support these people. But they don't do that. They just want to apologize and move on because ultimately I don't think he thought what he did was wrong. You know what I mean? I think that he just, he wanted to do it and he did it and, and people will defend it that the women could have left the room and all this stuff. You're like, Oh, that's, that's fucked up. Well, so there's, there's, there's a few things. So it's that, is a part of a systematic problem in itself mm-hmm. because for a long time that's all you had to do. Right. It was PR. PR was oh I. Uh, I mean, there's a jo- there's a- obviously this is this is a uh, satire, but Jan Silent Bob Strike Back, mm-hmm. right? There's a scene where they have they're talking about uh, Ben Affleck and they're like like having like dead hookers in his his, mm-hmm. his like room and they have a code for that and it's a joke about the idea that like the idea that like oh yeah you can have some really fucked up stuff in the background and people will just cover it up or something like right. that so there's that there's people essentially people were taught the wrong lessons for a very long time i also think that counterculture as a whole is it's like the boogeyman mm-hmm. so i'm gonna give an example as someone who grew up christian right so Someone who grew up Christian, I, for a long time, had a lot of guilt for things that aren't really guilt-worthy. Mm-hmm. So, a great example of this, right, is, you know, even just the... con. I still feel like... I don't... It's not the same level, but, like, I still feel... There's the idea of, like, looking at porn, right? Mm-hmm. I can still have... I still have a little residual guilt from that. So, for example, right, if I was, like... When someone's talking about, um, like, sexual assault and stuff like that, right? Someone could be, like... Uh, saying, you know, I don't like, we should get rid of men who assaulted a woman. Well, I was taught that even thinking about a woman in a sexual manner, literally it's a scripture, mm-hmm. thinking about a woman in a sexual manner means that you had sex. You basically, you it was as if you slept with them. Right. So in my mind, I'm like, there's a little worry. And I'm like, I haven't actually, I don't, that I can think of, I hope not. As far as I know, I've never sexually uh, assaulted or sexually um, harassed a woman. Mm-hmm. As far as I know. But because of that residual guilt of the idea of pornography essentially being an assault, mm-hmm. right. 
um, which as a culture as of right now, pornography is considered a uh, acceptable release mm-hmm. of sexual frustration and stuff like that without actually causing problems. Obviously, there's things within like learning about the porn industry and some of the fucked up stuff in it. That's that's a whole yeah, other thing. Whole other, yeah. um, but so for me, there are moments where I have to like look at myself. And I'm like, oh, it's the concept of like when someone's like, yeah, talking about bad issues, and they're like, no, no, you're not the person we're talking about, man. We're not talking about you, right? But you can, I can understand some people are like, it's like when anytime, it's like if you were told that while you're at home, if you were told, if you're told that <laughs> two miles away from you is someone that's has, um, that's out to punch bald white guys or something mm-hmm. like that. It's a dumb example, but, mm-hmm. and you're sitting in your home, there's a, mo- there's a moment where you might hear like a noise in your, by your window mm-hmm. and just like look over like, oh, oh crap, which sure. really the, the high, the chances that you are the, you know, or someone who got attacked by that mm-hmm. is so low and it's such a benign thing, but because it has any remnants of that. So I think a lot of these people who are, I think there are some people who are literally afraid because they have something fucked up in their past. Mm-hmm. But I think most people who complain about cancel culture and all this stuff, they just don't understand it. Right. They don't understand what it actually is. I think I think the best way to look at things like uh, like the porn thing or the like the residual things with you is like, and this is what I do with myself is um, is it coming from like a patriarchal mm-hmm. standpoint? Um, our judgment of porn. And the negativities of it is because we have patriarchal ideas that we try to slap on it. You know, that women yeah. women, women don't want to be sexual beings. They're not mm-hmm. meant to be there. You know what I mean? Things like that. And yes, the porn industry is chock full of problematic shit. And none of that should ever be ignored. Yeah. But so is like a lot of things. And so we want to make sure that but porn gets picked on because of specifically because of the nature of our, our patriarchal it, ideas. It's the concept us. of how men for the longest time have been taught to protect women, but not for the right reasons exactly that they're the they're right and like the idea is that they're saying that they're helpless beings that are incapable of being independent and incapable like legitimately it's a it's a weird it's it's a condescending oppression that's what it is and and it's a 100 and we you know um and it's led to like a million other oppressions in Mm -hmm. itself because of um that protection of women like has transformed so seamlessly into racism. It's yeah. a, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, yeah. All sorts of things. And, um, you know, so we look at that and, and, and how that, and how that functions. And I think when we have to reflect on ourselves, am I, am I, am I judging this based on like, where, where in my heart is this coming from? So like, yeah. you know, and like religion is a, is a vehicle for patriarchy a billion percent. Yes. And, you know, and so like anything like framed into that and things like that, like, Oh yeah. Even if I think about a woman sexually, like, like, Oh my God, <laughs> God, that is a fucking like holy shit! Like, it's horrible. like, well, like that is a that is a ridiculous like like that's just like chemical reactions in your brain. Yeah, like that's like I mean like and, and like kind of against like why we're even here on this planet. I mean like yes, we have s- sexual thoughts about men, women, all sorts of shit, and like and yeah. um and we, and we there's a lot of denial in our mind because we want to get to a place, but like but to think that you um, are having sexual thoughts is like some sort of like moral failure yeah. is, 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 is pure fucking comedy. Um, it's, it's great. Yeah, yeah it's, it's great. It's, 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 it's really funny because that's the thing is like, it's within there. That's a problematic thing within Christianity is that idea that you are, your thoughts are going to damn you. 
Right. When it really boils down to is what not your thoughts are. You're not. You don't have really much control over your thoughts. You have control of how you react and how you actually uh, convey mm-hmm. your thoughts into a, a actual like real world situation. Because mm-hmm. obviously. Let's be honest. There's probably a, a nice grandma walking down the street right now who sees someone and is like, "I could kill that person right, right now." Right. <laughs> We're back to grandmas. Um, I love grandmas. I what love can I say? They're they're great people. Yeah. They're fun. Uh, um, I uh, yes. I, I just think that you know what I mean. Like, the entire the entire idea of like people like of cancel culture is a boogeyman because really what's happening is people are just finally hearing what people think of them. Yeah. White guys are yeah. finally just, we're just finally hearing since everything's been catered to us our whole lives. And like when we're dealing with like comedians, mm-hmm. like comedians who were like, used to be able to just write whatever joke they wanted to just because they thought it was like funny on mm-hmm. some punching down level before the internet are really struggling now. You know yeah. what I mean? Because now they have to curtail there to like different expectations and different, you know what I mean? Well, and like, you're, you're saying you're not a Nick DiPaolo fan? <laughs> Like, I have no idea how Nick DiPaolo is famous. Like, I mean, like, Nick DiPaolo is, like, Nick DiPaolo is not a funny comedian. Beyond no. even, like, beyond even, like, his ridiculousness, mm-hmm. like, Nick DiPaolo is not a funny guy. No. Um, I, I don't know how, I don't know if it was just that he, he came up at the right time or whatever, but, like, if you watch his special, it's just not funny. I mean, he's no. just not somebody who's, like, a good comedian. And, I mean, well, right-wingers just make bad comedy because yeah. there's, only, there's only so much cruelty you can find funny. Yeah. You know, and like, you know, and uh, and, the, and the right wing in this country really mistakes cruelty for toughness. Yeah, they, they 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 really feel that cruelty, like the ability to like not feel when you're taking advantage of somebody vulnerable is tough. Yeah. Um, and as men, we've been taught that a lot. Like you well, shouldn't it's, care. It's cruelty in the in the name of moral superiority. Yeah. It's one thing to feel down and feel like you want life to be better for you because you're in a rougher spot. It's another thing to be like, well, I'm better than you. It's mm-hmm. a Karen mentality. Yeah, right, know? exactly. Like, like, it's that concept of like where a lot of people talk about where there's the fake the fake activism and stuff like mm-hmm. that where people do it literally just to make themselves mm-hmm. better about themselves. Make sure. people want them to be better. Whereas like, not a, there's a lot of people out there that we don't know about who are doing really great things sure. and they're just, they're doing it because they think it's right. Yeah, and I mean, you know, that that is used against a lot of activists too sometimes. And 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 like I agree with you, there are definitely like, you know, there's a ton of megalomania in any movement that has personalities in it, you know. And um, you know, and I've dealt with that in my life. The, the people who are at the top of almost anything often are the same people who are the top of anything else, you know what I mean? They have that same mindset to just move their way to the top mm-hmm. of a, a to the top of a scene. Um, that being said, though, there you know there there's importance to that. In, yeah, in using that as a, as a thing, and a lot well, of you know. I was gonna say. I mean, if you're going to use power and even guilt to do something. You might as well use it to do good, right? And and that's and that's kind of and that's kind of where it is. You know what I mean? It's like, um, I mean, to me, like all art is self-portrait. You know yes. what I mean? And so, it's a like, reflection of who we are. You know, I mean, like people say, "Well, I'm an empath." Um, well, I don't even know what that means. Like, so does that mean like 
so now you're taking on the feelings of other people. Can't you, can't we just be like, mm. I feel bad for somebody else? Yeah. You know what I mean? Without having it like, like it doesn't like, I don't even need to like feel bad to recognize injustice. Yeah. I, I don't need it to emotionally affect me. People will be like, well, why do you care so much about like, I mean, like you're not like black or brown or <laughs> gay. Wink, wink. Um, but, um, <laughs> um, you know, you're, um, you're not, any, and it's like, why doesn't the, why, I just don't want to see people get hurt. I don't want to yeah. see people living in fear. I don't want to see anybody doing that. I don't get like, it's, it's absolutely r ridiculous that we're like living in this world that people just can't like just go be themselves because we're also like you know attached to this idea of normal. Yeah, what's yeah? There's what's wrong with having love for your fellow person? Exactly. Um, so where are we at? We want to talk more about Scarlet. Um, was there anything else? I guess we you'd want to say about Scarlet? I don't. I don't. I think. I, I think we kind of covered it. Like uh, you know, like uh, what I liked about it is it, it allowed us to have a conversation about something bigger. That, and that's and that's that's really weird. The the thing about this podcast is I like I love comics. I have a passion for comics. What I love about it, though, is just like any other art form, it's my preferred art form, this film and comedy. Mm -hmm. They're all ways to sell stories, but the thing about it is it's very human to see yourself in something. Mm -hmm. And so the comics within this, it's a platform to be able to open right. up what someone is passionate about. Mm -hmm. It's me sharing a thing I am passionate about with either someone who also is passionate about it or is passionate about what the comic is about. Right. Like you have a heart for people that have deal with these kind of things. Mm -hmm. And so, and I, that's why I love, I, <laughs> I would have asked you why you chose it, but I knew why you chose it. Right. You know, right. like some, sometimes I ask people cause like, they're like, I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I've drive cars and I decided to choose a comic book about a guy who never leaves his couch. Why did you choose that? <laughs> no, I think you get about 10 pages into Scarlet. You're like, oh yeah, this is, this is all no, right. Yeah, this no, as soon as I, like I, I, uh, uh, I messaged Ryan literally after the first issue and I was like, yeah, I can see why you like this comic. <laughs> right. it's, it's like when I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, this is just like so right up my alley and it's yeah. by Bendis and, you know, I was like, I mean, we could, I could, I could talk for, hours about how like i mean miles morales is my i mean that would have been my second choice is like that first miles morales book and um you know just about how what an amazing character uh he is and like what a great introduction of um like you know just breaking up the scenario of the scene it's just like don't you get don't you all get tired of just white dudes doing yeah. shit. I mean, doesn't doesn't the world want to see something different? Like, like Miles Morales is cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, and like, uh, I am not an animated movie fan. For as big of on the comic books I am, mm -hmm. I am not a cartoon person. But uh, Into the Spider Verse, I think is like one of my favorite movies of all time. It's it, a great it's, movie. It's so good, and it's like and it's so beautifully made. Mm -hmm. Uh, the music's great as like a multimedia like adventure. I mean, it's perfect. They say yeah. that if you freeze any frame in it, it could be a comic book. Um, yeah, and you know, um, comic books sell. Um, they also had their really cool animation style where they actually used um, in old comics. The I don't know if it was the paper or the printing press, but they would have these little dots. Mm -hmm. And when you watch it, you can see those dots on there. And it's, it's got this really cool aesthetic that they couldn't have done honestly probably 15 years ago. Right. I don't know if you've watched. Um, so th that feels like a comic book to me. I was talking to uh, Kyle Adams recently. Have you seen their new movie, uh, Mitchell's vs. the Machines? I haven't seen it yet. It's very good. It actually, in a lot of ways, and I, I, after he said this, I was like, yeah, it does. 
it feels like a comic strip brought to life mm-hmm. in the same style, animation style. Right. But there's something really special about that. But yeah, sorry, I, I'm, no, I get no, nerded out all this stuff. No, I get it. Um, <laughs> but I love, I love Miles Morales, and I love, I just like the Bendis, like just used used art as, like you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck this up. Yeah. You know what I mean? I am gonna like. I am going to take this system and I am not going to make black characters just like some side character and like, or just like, you know, like, or some special book for mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? That we can have a black Captain America. Yeah. We can have a female Thor. There's just, there's no reason. Like the only thing that stops us is our dedication to normal. You know what well, I mean? And, and the thing I like about what he did too, he did it in a way that really makes it special because he didn't, he wasn't like, Okay, I'm gonna just completely reinvent the same person with the same name and then make them black or something like that. He's right. like, no, I want to be able to create a new character right. that is this person, and they're not—they're literally not that person. They're yeah. a new, new entity, and what their experience as the person they are dealing with the situation. Right. Like, what would it be like for someone who is half uh, Latinx and half black? Mm-hmm. To be a superhero, like, like a teenage kid mm-hmm. who's like dealing with that thing. Yep. Yeah, and that's what that's why I love about it. That's what that's what I love about what he's doing is because I think a lot of people there's like this tone deaf concept, and a lot of people look at it the wrong way. It's like we're not. It's like a, people aren't looking for you to do something like where you just for the sake of like changing the shade of a character's skin on a comic book. Mm-hmm. Like we're looking for ways to tell new stories with new characters and them having that experience. Yep, and letting the natural cultures that they are, that they live in exist in exactly previously white spaces. Yeah. Exactly. Exa- exactly, cuz it's like if you just if you were to just make Spider-Man black, make Peter Parker black, for mm-hmm. example, and then you were like, "Okay, we're just going to have him have the same exact story." Right. That's not really that's not doing anything that's actually going to mean anything and and you know and yeah we can i mean i could talk about this forever but like but uh, but um but uh miles morales awesome uh jessica jones awesome brian bendis big thumbs up to him um i love powers yeah powers is great um um yeah so yeah read scarlet read scarlet Read Miles Morales. Read Miles Morales. All right. So uh, now we're at the question point of mm-hmm. my podcast. Okay. Uh, first one, what was the first introduction into the comic book zeitgeist for you? Whether it was a comic book, whether it was a TV show, a movie, a cartoon. Um, I was a big Spider-Man kid from the beginning. I had Spider-Man toys. Always, every like every like picture of me, like under the age of eight, I had Spider-Man stuff. I naturally just started buying uh, all the Spider-Man titles. I used to buy them at the grocery store off the carousel, the, the uh, um, comic book carousel that they had. And um, I knew which day of the month they would come out and uh, all that sort of stuff. And I'd be there right away. Um, so really like amazing Spider-Man like was probably my really first introduction to it. I still have them all too um, mm-hmm. you know and uh, yeah I just started buying they're all beat up and like weren't in bags for a long time because so, I because I, I kind of hate collector culture a little bit but so um, mm-hmm. so for me it was like yeah I'm sure they'd be worth money but like I bought them to read and read again and read again and read again so I would have to say like really like uh, like one of my first memories is like playing with like a little Spider-Man like wind up boat in a like a like an outdoor like a swimming pool like a plastic swimming mm-hmm. pool so yeah 
hearing that, I mean, that must that must have made the fact that Bendis used that character mm-hmm. to be able to give more exposure or you know enlightenment or opening people right. up to more culture. I, really right, and I think that, and I think Spider Man is a really great character to do that because a because it's been important to me. But like the reason I like Spider Man is because you know he had superpowers, but he was still like kind of just like a dude. Like yeah. you know what I mean? Like and it kind of like explored that. Like he's not like he doesn't have like a tremendous amount of wealth behind mm-hmm. him. He doesn't have like godlike powers. He's not like the toughest super. Superhero, like I love the Hulk character. I love Superman. I love Wolverine. I have tons of Wolverine comic books. I have all the greatest Wolverine hits that you think of from the '90s. I bought all of that stuff. But sometimes those storylines can be like a little rough for me because yeah. they, it's just really hard. They they either have to weaken the character or they have to battle somebody of like an equal <laughs> equal strength. And it's it just it makes the storytelling different. Um, Spider-Man is both emotionally and physically vulnerable. Um, yeah, you know, the best Spider-Man stories are when he is dealing with normal human like making mistakes yep. losing jobs then yep. trying to keep literally trying to be a superhero trying to maintain a job right. trying to maintain his marriage at the time uh, you know depending on what part of the story right. that it is having all these things and still trying to function as a person and yeah. go crazy. And that's what I kind of like. Um, you know, I'm a big uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan too, and it's kind of the same story, which is like somebody's been gifted these superpowers, you know, to mm-hmm. battle and um, and really struggles trying to be a human being and do that. And um, and it gives a, it gives a vehicle for a lot of different like emotional emotional rides mixed mm-hmm. in with like kind of like fun action. I don't know. I just think it's a it's an important thing for us to look in in our world. So yeah, it's like the lack of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, because there's as much as I enjoy stuff like Superman and stuff like that, it might be a little too much of that. I think yeah. the best parts about when they make Superman at least good is once again, though, is when he's trying to be human while he's an alien. Or right. Something like yeah. that. Those are better than when they're like, Superman, save the day, invincible, blah, 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 blah. Right. You know? <laughs> um, what was the first, was Spider Man the first uh, comic book you owned? Or, or what was the first As one? far as I can remember, it was probably a Spider Man. I. You know, I bought a lot of stuff early on back then. Um, you know, I, I predated, like, the Punisher War Journal by a few years with Spider-Man. But, like, I have the original Punisher miniseries. I bought a lot of Punisher mm-hmm. stuff. I bought Punisher stuff for years until it kind of became, like, a right-wing fantasy. Um, I think they've, they've been able to, like, kind of, like, reel that in, which I really appreciate the, mm-hmm. the artists for doing. But, like, I really liked early. But yeah. I, I liked all the ground-level comic. Like, you know, like, it's sometimes a little weird for me to see Spider-Man, like, roped in with, like, the Avengers because like we didn't even like even me and my comic book friends as a kid like mm-hmm. none of us read Avengers really much of Avenger characters you know and um, those are kind of like old guard but like Spider-Man Daredevil Punisher like they all battled like uh, you know, like in the streets in New York yeah. and in Hell's Kitchen and stuff like that they were all way more like ground level and occasionally they'd cross over into fighting something big from some place yeah. or whatever but like but mostly um, you know they were like really ground level so I it, like it's somewhere it, it's it's got to be a Spider-Man comic but was probably my first so. Okay. What are your top five favorite graphic novels? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, well, I'm going to have to say... Um, doesn't have to be in any order. Yeah. It just has to be five. <laughs> well, I think we got to do Watchmen. Okay. I'm actually going to go off the rails a little bit and do March, um, which is just a historical... Um, Deal. David Walker's David Walker's Black Panthers is an amazing uh, graphic novel. Um, I strongly suggest Killing Joke. Mm. 
just because god like i'm not even like a big dc guy but like boy is that like a phenomenal like take on like it's like really like you know the joker was always ridiculous but like that like taking him like so psychotic mm-hmm. was like was such a good rim and then i'm gonna i'm gonna finish it off i'm gonna like just be like a geeky guy and i'm just gonna go with Mao's because i just think that was like one of the first like real like political books that i took mm-hmm. and really just like used that you know to really it was just like the first book of that nature that i got you know what i mean to to take it and i just think that it's it still holds up today and i think it's just a great story and i think uh you know i think in personally uh, we can go on this forever but like anti-semitism is a you know really problematic um is not even just in and of itself but um when you study white supremacists and stuff mm-hmm. like that and their belief structure, anti-Semitism is the, the keystone of it all. And, you know, so I think it's really important to uh, keep those stories alive. And, you know, so we remind how easy it is to slip into um, mm-hmm. into that. So, yeah. Nice. I like those choices. Those are all good books, honestly. Uh, and then the uh, last thing I ask, because I talk to comics, obviously. I talk mm-hmm. to comedians. What was it that inspired you to do comedy? Um, I've always been a, a fan of comedy, just in general, as like a form. I think um, I'm a big fan of like the written word and of language and I like art that makes you like feel and like it like about something like I'm a really big horror fan and I'm a really big comedy fan you know I like doing that honestly I don't think I like I think comedy chose me to be mm. re- if I'm gonna be really serious like I mean like like the way I look at the world I mean you talked about like being a wallflower and being like observant of people and I am exactly the same way um, yeah. I am I have general anxiety disorder which uh, which makes me like really study people and because I'm constantly like worried about situations and is this going to work out and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and I've been like that my whole life and I've really always just studied people, which has put me into this like weird sort of like looking at the world like I'm at the zoo. You know, and and it's been able to give me the opportunity to examine both things politically and how people react to things. Um, you know, my, my whole family were from the East Coast, and I was mm-hmm. raised in rural Colorado um, with very two East Coast like hippie parents, and um, and that dichotomy really you know caused me to look at people in a specific way mm-hmm. and when you do that jokes become kind of funny because yeah because jokes are observational you know what i mean <laughs> like not every joke is observational humor but kind of you know what i mean yeah. and so and i think like particularly like relatable jokes so like you know like when i'm joking about like a white guy named jamarcus or like i mean these are all like experiences that i've had from like keeping my eyes open at the world you know what i mean and like yeah. you know and you know these are these are these are people that are real and um and I don't know how, like, it took me a long time to really, to do stand-up comedy. I've always mm-hmm. been really good at, like, a lot of people say this, but, like, making my friends laugh and making, like, random people yeah. laugh and, and things like that. But I spent a lot of my life not believing I could actually do things um, and, like, that it was for other people. Mm-hmm. Like, if you would have told me that I, at this point in my life that I would be writing for six different papers you know six different sites I call, mm-hmm. I call them papers because i'm old but um six different uh, <laughs> six different satire sites yeah. I, uh, without a and doing like music journalism and things like that without a college degree you hustle uh, you yeah. really hustle I, I don't think that i would i don't think i don't think i would have believed you yeah. i took one writer i know she wrote a show that was on mtv and stuff it should say oh you don't need any of that shit just write mm-hmm. and i'm like well i don't 
don't sometimes I script they're like that's why they have editors there's like writers and editors for a reason and like and like made me believe it and so I started like submitting things and like you just did it and it's, it's the same thing with I finally like I was working with Dylan Jenkins uh, who um, is just one of my favorite people and he's like mm. just like one of the naturally funniest people I know and uh, he was like well you just go, quit talking to me about stand up and let's go just go do it and yeah. uh, um now I don't I don't know how I could ever quit writing bits. Yeah, I know I, what you mean. I don't know like I don't like I'm constantly like writing writing I, I'm starting a hip hop project right now speaking of hustling but um and I'm constantly writing bars and I'm constantly mm-hmm. writing bits in my brain like it's kind of like like you know what I mean like it's just kind of like and um as a, like a mental somebody with mental illness diagnosis mm-hmm. it's been really good for my brain to like it gives it like a focus you know what I mean and like it gives it like it puts things into like a little yeah, bit of order for I, me. I can really I found out in the last year through the pandemic that it gave me an opportunity to kind of like deal with introspection and also just address a lot of things. Uh, I have bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. I have acute anxiety. I'm clinically depressed. Like I'm all these things. Um, So I can relate to what you're saying a lot. Mm What you, within what you were saying, do you think? Because um, I noticed this in myself. Doesn't it seem like you were writing bits before you were writing even new? Oh, you were absolutely, bits? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like I have told a version of my Taco Bell joke since the beginning of from the very first time I did an open mic and I still mm-hmm. tell it today which is hilarious but it's a thought that I had once I went to the Taco Bell down the street from my house and they were like like really truly had like amazing customer service and I just mm. felt like telling the guy like this is a waste of your time like I am still <laughs> gonna come back here you cannot tell me to get out of a Taco Bell and I've told that joke a million times and sometimes I'm just telling it for me at this point like doing career but um but like there was just like there was just like you know like in my mind that was just always funny and i've just like like you're saying i've just collected these funny sort of observations in my life and like and now like i you know and now just when i think about it instead of just going huh that's funny now i just like jot it down in like a little note as a premise or exactly. if i think about a, a funny word you know what mm-hmm. i mean like like the word rummage <laughs> the word rummage is beautiful rummage. the rummage like the rummage is like the best word it's like just such a high value word um you know and uh, and i love language and i love that sort of stuff so yeah you're it's uh, it's just uh, um and i have also watched stand-up comedy mm-hmm. my entire life like i have like always like when Evening on the Improv was on mm-hmm. um, uh, MTV's Half Hour Comedy Hour um, back when like David Spade and Adam Sandler and all those guys were just doing were just doing like tight fives and like mm-hmm. um, you know and uh, um, boy. I am certain that if those guys could, they would have that wash from the internet because th- those are some rough, <laughs> rough sets. Comedy, ha- comedy has aged. Uh, comedy, old school comedy has uh, aged poorly. Not even it. just because of like, like race and this and that. Of just like quality, you yeah. know. Um, like it doesn't even seem like they wrote back then. They just got mm-hmm. up there and said funny things. So um, yeah, it's a long, long roundabout way to say like, yeah, like comedy, like uh, comedy just like is me. You know yeah. what I mean? Like what works for comedy. I'm not like a tremendous stand-up, but I like what I'm doing. You know yeah. what I mean? And you know, and uh, I'm just always trying to improve. So. And I think that's something that if you enjoy doing this and it's something you want to share with people, people see that because right. there are people who just like seem like they're just trying to figure something out. Right. <laughs> and we definitely see I've been doing this. This would have been my fourth year, mm-hmm. but it's my third year um, because of the pandemic. And I've seen so many people kind of go, 
Right. I've seen so many people, and like I get it. If it's not working out for you, like it's a it's a tough thing. Mm-hmm. It can be both almost life affirming, and it can also right. be like downright devastating. Yeah, I think that you know I hit a devastating patch with stand up um, early on. Like I went from doing really well, like mm-hmm. right out of the gate, to kind of bombing, and then I went from bombing to sucking. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like a weird, weird place to get. There's because there, there's definitely a difference between like I like I I went out last night and I went to two mics and the first mic I bombed. I yeah. mean straight up I bombed. I mean like it just it just wasn't working. I it just I don't think I went up there with enough energy. But I can go down the whole list of why it didn't work. Um, you know like I um, jokes were there. I just I just wasn't. You know, and, yeah. uh, and then I went to a second mic and I and I redid it and I uh, I had a great time. You know. Yeah. I mean, not everything hit, but but it, uh, I'm working on new stuff and still just getting back into the swing and making rooms laugh, you know. And um, yeah, and I had a good time. I yeah. I had a great set at Helium on on, on Tuesday at the Dope. open mic. That was great. And um, you know, but um, you said you had a great set of Helium. Yeah, I had a great set of Helium, and then um, I was making a point. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think the point was just like because you were talking about comedy? Is you? It's for me. And maybe this is kind of what you're trying to come across. It's it's the thing that just it makes things worth it, right? It really does, because like it's and to that extent, when people get you know quote unquote canceled, I can see why it would feel devastating. Sure. Like I, from a personal aspect, it's that empathetic side that also is like sometimes it's like I'm not trying to be devil's advocate. That's not what I'm trying to do right, right now. Right. <laughs> no, I get it. I'm not trying to be a you know I'm not trying to be like directly in the middle and and you know I I I'm trying to be a mediator. It's it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it anymore. Right. And my brother actually was talking about this with me, and he's like, yeah, for the longest time I would try to point out the hypocrisies on both sides, but eventually it's just like nobody likes you anymore. <laughs> right. Exactly. You can you can just do this. Nobody likes it. It's like, what's, <laughs> right. what's, like <laughs> yeah. One one piece of advice I'd give anyone who wants to start comedy: you bomb once, just get off the stage, never do it again. Mm. No, I'm kidding. Oh, um, no. yeah. oh I, I, this is what I, this is what I was saying. Like, I bombed last night, but I didn't suck. Yeah. Like, I just like didn't have it. Um, yes. I got to a point in comedy where I was sucking. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I, I had this joke and I still want to, I still want to tell it, but I haven't found the right way to tell it. You know, so anybody who's listened to me knows that I talk, I, I bring head on about like racism and homophobia. Mm-hmm. And I had a, um, and unfortunately sometimes when you say those things, that's all people hear. Um, yeah. I don't complain about that though because I I'm okay with people being heavy-handed. Like, why is he talking about this? Why is, I think if, yeah. you, if you really listen to what I'm saying, like I'm, I'm I'm calling it out, and anybody who knows me knows that that's my deal. But but it is a sensitive subject matter um, that has like a slight edge to it. But it's not offensive. It's just that it, if you clench up around those <laughs> things, you're going to clench up sometimes when you you know. I mean, it's really, I mean, honestly, like I struggle in rooms that are just like upper middle class white liberals yep, you know yep. i mean like that's just um, if i'm in rooms that are predominantly people of color i do great because yeah. they they know what i'm saying they're not stupid you know what i mean i was, they, I was gonna say i do better in what in black rooms sometimes yeah, than i do in white rooms yeah i mean i think you know they're you know they're harder to and, and but like whatever my job as a comic too is to entertain yeah. the people who are there exactly and, and you know and if i bomb on those jokes or whatever well maybe i need to write new jokes for those people but um yeah, you know but i had a joke about uh, male feminists mm-hmm and about how male feminists enjoy like how we saw a whole new slew of male feminists when sex positivity came around, Mm. you know, and, um, it's a great premise. Yeah. 
I was not able to get it off without sounding like a fucking creep. And like, you know, and like, I just wasn't, I didn't have the comedic chops to, and I, and I will revisit this joke someday. Cause, mm-hmm. cause you know, like they used to say like, Oh my God, that's somebody's daughter. Now feminists are like, Hey, look, that's my daughter. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, um, like it's a great line and I wanted to use it. You know what I mean? But like, um, yeah. but you know, like, and, I, and I'll reintroduce that, that, um, that, that joke someday, but like it was sucking and I was at Funhouse mm-hmm. one night and I went up kind of late and there was like seven people in the room and there was like two tables of actual people who are there watching open mic, which I'm always curious about. Yeah. But, um, the look that they gave me of like that I was like being a pig, like I had to stop. Yeah. I stopped comedy for three months and I went back to the basics and I was like, I'm not going to do this until like, I kind of figure some things out. Right. Because if I want to tell jokes that touch on serious matters and things like that, I need to be better at this. Yes. Yeah, I get that. I never want anybody to leave these rooms that I'm in feeling like they just heard some pig talk. I just, I, I mm-hmm. just do not want to put that into the world. I want to talk about serious stuff because I want these platforms yeah. to be for serious things. I mean, I talk about mental illness. I mean, I have a joke about lying to your therapist. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have a joke about like, you know what I mean? I think relatable things that I think we all need to kind of talk about. You know what I mean? And like, and, you know, and not that I'm like trying to do something like really important, but I think like anytime I have a small stage, whether it's my, whether it's my fucking Facebook or Twitter mm-hmm. or, or my podcast. And, you know, I have a, I have a horror podcast and I mention little political things all the time because there's, there's never, there's never a place that you, that I don't think that we can try to make the world a yeah. bit better. And, you know, and if we're ever doing that, um, so I never wanted anybody to like leave, like you hear comedians like, well, I can't, why can't I say what I want to say? And I'm like, why would you want to hurt people? Yeah. You know what I mean? Can you just not write better jokes? Like, let's yeah. just not hurt people. How about that? Like, yeah. It's, it, you should be able to talk what's in, about what's important to you. Right. And personally, my philosophy for comedy is finding ways to reduce the negative power something has mm-hmm. on someone right. but it's in a way where i've learned that if i don't have enough stake into something it's not gonna work right it's got to be me using my story or at least my observation of that right within a way that like shows how people see the world because i i relate to you i was grateful from the time not the pandemic itself but the time the pandemic gave me because Early 2020, I was sucking. I was legitimately sucking. Mm-hmm. I had gone from doing like pretty good, doing some pretty good stuff, and then I, I was going through a lot of mental mm-hmm. health issues and a lot of other stuff. And I was legitimately looking like a. I was sounding and and kind of like just giving off this aura of like a, a creepy piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like almost like a serial killer or <laughs> right. something like that. <laughs> right. And I was like, that's not. I don't want people to like be like, oh man, is this guy gonna murder us right, right. now? Like that's not that's not me. <laughs> right. No, and, and it's not. And I think I mean I think that's the the hard place to get to with comedy is like how do our jokes express who we really are? And so like I mean yeah, so sometimes it's good you have to like take a step back and look at things. Like um, I never wanted to quit. I wanted to. I just wanted to make it right. You mm-hmm. know. And so I went back and I studied 
studied uh, people I think are great joke writers. I um, I studied, uh, you know, Goldman and Mulaney and uh, Bramford and uh, Mm -hmm. honestly, like a lot of Anthony Jeselnik. Um, um, People get down on him for for whatever reasons and some of us deserve. But like, um, but I think that like his satire character is like he just like sells himself as such a terrible person. And, you know, he's this terrible character. And within that, he almost is making fun of all of the things that he's doing. Yeah. And like for somebody who wants to sort of, I do not want to be an edgy comic, but I want to be able to talk about serious things, you know, and, and, and I need to know how to, I needed to know how to do that where people were, where people were. And so I, you know, I went to those people and I, I looked at how they wrote jokes and I wrote down their jokes and I have, I have one joke. My dumpster fire jokes directly sits on, um, on a Jesselnik platform on the blueprint yeah. you know what i mean it's like i say uh, i heard that the trump presidency somebody on the internet said the trump presidency is a dumpster fire i don't care where you stand politically i don't agree with that at all <laughs> those dumpster fires are fucking awesome you know and um you know and uh um you know just like the the misdirection there you know people think i'm going to say something trumpy which is which yeah. is good for me because like um i with the way i look uh, when i get on stage people i think i'm going to go down that road well that's a. Uh, I had a joke pretty early on and i still like to tell every once in a while and it was literally the joke is ever since i started shaving my head white people have been too comfortable acting racist around <laughs> right exactly exactly <laughs> and and it's like yeah the other day it's like i don't know how to deal with that so the other day someone y- uh, yelled out white power to me and i pretended that it said wheat flour and got really explicit <laughs> about my gluten allergy <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um no and it, you know and i think that it's 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 really easy to go down that road and so yeah i, I stopped and here i am i'm back and um you know i still tell some of those jokes and someday i will tell that male feminist jokes because yeah. it needs to be told yeah and the thing is i think that's encouraged is like if a joke isn't working that doesn't mean you have to get rid of it completely mm-hmm. that just means you need to look at it a different way and you'll notice too even if someone's not reusing a joke they might have a new way of looking at something they talked about before right so don't be afraid to literally dissect it and maybe even get rid of those those line of words you said i have jokes right now that i'm starting to tell that there's literally foundations or like little ingredients that were from other stuff I told said before, but it's not the same joke anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, it was even less about the joke mm-hmm. and more about how good of a comic am I? Exactly. Um, I've heard other comics, you know, say like, I don't know why like my like sexual assault jokes aren't <laughs> working or whatever. And you're like, because it's not funny. Yeah. And like, it takes like a very, very, very specific human being. That's very, very good to work. And it's very rarely funny, but like, if you're like a, like a female comic and you're like trying to like make a point with it, you can make a joke out of it. That's, that's funny and pointed and stuff like that. But if you, but you just have to be at the level of, of yeah. that. And, and as somebody who wants to talk about like important things in comedy form, I, I needed to be just a better fucking comedian. 100%. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, I need to go out there and like, this is how I'm going to deliver it. And this is what I'm going to say. And this is going to kind of, and I still, I can still get those like kind of cringed up looks at every now and mm-hmm. then, but that's, but that's life. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah. but, uh, but I, but I try to lessen that because I want people to know, like, like the point is like, you know, like I want everybody to leave there feeling better about themselves. Yeah. I, th- I think the, the two things that'll help out that a lot, and I'm sure you agree, self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And intentionality. Right. If you're doing something, it's almost worse to get a laugh from something you didn't mean to be funny than to not get a laugh from something you wanted to be funny. Exactly. Because at that point, yep. 
they're unless you actually were like, oh, you know what, that was a really good line. I like that. But more often than not, it's like, oh, they're laughing at me at this point. It's right. Not, we're not. That's not what I'm trying to do. I, I have zero interest in in cheap laughs. Mm-hmm. I would rather be. I would rather sit up there and bomb every time than write just things that that aren't. Clever. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Exactly. You don't want to end every joke with. And then I jerked off. Sublouge. <laughs> right. And don't get me wrong. I've got a, like a little jerk off uh, tag right now yeah. that I'm that I'm working out and that uh you know that's you know kind of funny um yeah to break the mood but hey you know but like uh but like a career of it yeah so yeah well thanks for having me on this absolutely uh before we go i just wanted to ask you is there anything you wanted to plug today well i have a lot of plugs okay Are you is ready? there i mean do you want to do all of them or do you want to do like some I, I, will, I will I will I will I will focus on um, if you like my political takes and you want to hear me uh, discuss things I am on a KBU radio show called Culture in Motion um, it is also a on Spotify on me and a uh, hip hop activist MC friend of mine named Mike Crenshaw discuss uh, the intersection of art and activism and um, how that looks. We interview uh, everything from Black Panthers, the people who make the movie uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, to Brown Berets, to local hip-hop artists, to people involved in uh, the police accountability movement. Um, We have interviewed uh, the... um, woman who sat there, a young girl who sat there and watched uh, George Floyd get murdered. Mm. Um, so um, that's uh, been a, um, a really uh, a great uh, part of my life and uh, something I would love everybody to check into. Um, if you're looking for lighter fare, you can check out my uh, podcast, Another Goddamn Horror Podcast, <laughs> um, which I do with uh, two comedians from um, Brooklyn, New York. Um, and uh, we discuss horror movies and we... Uh, we um, joke about stuff and we have um, interesting guests we've interviewed uh, directors and actors and uh and a lot of really cool special effects artists uh, professional wrestlers um we've done a lot um with that and um that's going very well so please check that out um i write for the hard times um which which is um like a dream come true so if you're not familiar with the hard times it is like the punk rock uh, slash millennial culture version of the onion hmm. um it is a widely popular uh on online uh, satire page uh, go check it out and you can search my name Ryan Danley and you will see uh, my uh, over 40 articles that I have for them um, yeah that's 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 yeah. There's others, but uh, that's that's what I'm going to focus on right now. Oh, and actually, you know what? Um, one thing I forgot. I do a show with um, local uh, Portland comedian Kyle Adams, um, and it's called Supersize We. Uh, comedians in cars spilling condiments it is on youtube and we interview comedians while reviewing um seasonal fast food items Mm, sounds like fun yeah that's a great show sweet uh yeah and obviously at that point they can kind of go on a rabbit hole and find your other stuff if they want to too yeah i mean like i have like i have bits on you know none of them are really great but uh, i mean (laughs) i I have stuff on youtube um yeah um you know i um and uh everything's old and um (laughs) and clunky but uh hey you know what i mean i have i have i have tape okay i got tape um I got a 15 minute set that I professionally recorded um, that I bombed at. I didn't bomb, but it just was, it was, it wasn't what you wanted. Yeah, it was a B minus, you know mm. what I mean? And mm. like, I think for a 15 minute professional tape, I was looking for an A plus, but um, I get that. Um, yeah. Um, and they're always a little quieter on the recording, you know, and it's just the way it's just the nature mm-hmm. of it. And um, so there's that out there and um, I don't know, support local comedy, support public radio, support fast food workers, uh, support your neighbors and uh, fuck the police. 
Sounds good. Uh, and then just uh, on my end, as far as plugs, um, I have a webcomic called Nearly Functional Comics, which you can find on Instagram. I don't have a Facebook page as of when this is recorded, but I will be creating a Facebook page, business page for that, so you can look it up on there. Who knows when you're listening to this, you might have heard this on Spotify. You might have heard this on... No, I'm, I'm trying to upload this anywhere I can. If you like this one, follow, check out my other podcasts, uh, or episodes, I should say. <laughs> Maybe other podcasts. Who knows? Right. Um, <laughs> I'm really trying to future-proof this. Yeah, right. um, <laughs> I, um, aside from that, you can follow this podcast both on Facebook under uh, Obsessive Comic Disorder or on Instagram. I upload updates. I'm sure I'll have some entertaining little things here and there, but I definitely want to be able to provide quality content for people Excellent. and you can also find me uh, nearly functional comedy if you want to just find me as a person and my overly vain attempts at trying to be special to people um <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah uh so thank you for listening thank you ryan for coming on here once again my guest was ryan danley I am Gene Dweber, and I almost like to make this the awkward ending as always. Enjoy your life. Yeah, I like it. Like it. Peace out. Oops.